Hey, woman. Hey, woman. Listen here. Since your old man ain't got no heart, maybe you'd like to see a real man. I bet you stay up late every night dreaming you had a real man, don't you? I tell you what, bring your pretty little self over to my apartment tonight, and I'll show you a real man. You want to, you get out. You Good evening and welcome people. We're back and we're back with a bumper show for you. This is episode number 36 of Dude and a Monkey and I'm Mark Foster and as ever I'm joined by my co-host. Yeah, Hello folks. And tonight we have a double helping of our marathon as well as prisoners. Uh, one old, one new and of course the double marathon is Monkey Shines and the Dark Half which closes out our George A. Romare No Zombies Marathon. I actually managed to say it without twisting myself around that time. Um. And the reason why I'm doing those double is because I didn't have a show last week, uh, mainly because of my fault, because I was uh, hosting the Horror Night that I host in York, and so we couldn't record on the Sunday, and then we just ended up not being able to record on any night because I had a quiz to host and all kinds of shit going on. Uh, but I've got nothing going on for the next four or five weeks in a row uh, on Sundays, so fingers crossed we should be back on a regular schedule uh, of recording Sunday and been out sort of Monday, Tuesdays, I would think. Is that right, uh, Ian? I'd say that's about fair, yep. Boom! Right. Um, so, like I say... Uh, we're going to cover Prisoners in a minute, but first, Ian, what trailers have you been watching? Okie dokie, I have uh, been watching, not that not that many I suppose, but I've got a few, uh, Alexander Payne's new one, Nebraska, uh, trailer looks alright, um, quite looking forward to that, can't say I'm uh, chomping at the bit for it, but I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it when it turns up. Uh, the, I think it was like the French trailer for Snowpiercer, which looks... Um, fantastic uh kind of looks like what john carpenter would be doing if he had a budget and still had a bit of social awareness about him it 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 feels like a slightly higher-minded like escape from new york or something to snowpiercer and i'm um i'm rather up for that uh yeah me too yeah absolutely man um uh dom hemingway uh jude law and richard e grant bumbling about and Spitting one-liners at each other. Um, I'm I'm rather up for that as well. Uh, it's it's not it's one of those ones that like if it's the only thing out that week, I'll happily watch it. If not, it'll probably leave it until the Blu-ray. But um, the the trailer looks decent enough. Uh, trailer for Need for Speed, which looks um, 
uh, hilariously trying to like go off the like the fumes of Breaking Bad in how kind of portentous it, it, it looks. But I don't know. I'm 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 actually rather up for it, and I'm intrigued to see what um, Aaron Paul can do in a blockbuster. And well, that is the that's that's like that's like the big question with that is because you know Cranston was already a pretty familiar face to people before Breaking Bad. He wasn't a household name and. You know, people didn't appreciate how good an actor he was because he's working Malcolm in the middle, but he was still a familiar face. Um, whereas, you know, we know where Cranston's going to go because he's done a lot uh, at the same time as Breaking Bad. Whereas, I mean, Aaron Paul's been very sort of quick to himself say, you know, I'm going to take as much from this now as I can because, let's face it, I'm all downhill from here. But it'll be interesting to see if he manages to keep, you know, if he managed to build on what Breaking Bad's given him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the, the character of Jesse is such a monumental character in that actor's career that it's going to be hard to see him as anything but Jesse Pinkman. Uh, I mean, Breaking Bad is a rare TV show that I actually watch. Um, I'm not I'm mm. not caught up, but um, uh, Donna and I are halfway through season four and we're kind of, we're, we're comparatively racing through it now. Um and, and I mean, he is amazing as Jesse. I hope that he can be amazing as anything else. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. And I, I, I am looking forward to it. And I think Imogen Poots and Dominic Cooper is like supporting players. I'm, I'm all good with that as well. So uh, yeah, uh, that, I, I think that could be fun. And uh, I watched the trailer for Disney's Frozen, which looks like Tangled with Snow. Yeah. Um, I was rather. I was kind of surprised how underwhelmed I was with <laughs> was by that, to be honest, because I think Walt Disney Animation Studios are on a bit of a high at the moment. But this literally even the like deer or whatever that's like a dog, just like the horse that's like a dog entangled. Uh, mm. it, it, I, it, it kind of seems a bit brutal to me. Um, and I mean, like oh Christ, I love the Princess and the Frog as well. I, that film's terrific. And it, it, this that's a great Yeah, film. absolutely, man. And uh, this just looks to be rather generic um i mean we'll, we'll we'll see and you know frankly these are the kinds of films i'm gonna have to get used to seeing in a cinema um so you know i'm you know it would be nice if they're good but i can't say the trailer's particularly inspiring uh also oh the red band for machete kills which looks like a machete movie um, I, I will say the more I see from Machete Kills, the more boring I think it looks, to be honest. And I'm coming from somebody who actually quite likes Machete. Um, yeah. But it, it's just, it seems to be the sort of the fun bits of Machete just repeated. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking up now what is out the same week as Machete, because um, I think it's out October the 11th, if I remember correctly. Uh, what is out, what is out, what is out... The Fifth Estate, Machete Kills. Ah, oh, it's not a good week, in fairness. Baggage Claim, which looks like Bobbins. Uh, the Fifth Estate, which I'm going to go and see, but I'm not expecting a great deal out of. Uh, Machete Kills, Not Another Happy Ending, which uh, Jordan said was the worst film we've seen so far on uh, this week's uh, Avia so far on this week's 35mm Heroes. And that version of Romeo and Juliet that looks weird. Uh, yeah. I, I just... Hayley Steinfeld as Juliet, I'm not feeling it, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. So to be honest, if I do see two films that weekend, it probably, I probably will see Machete Kills, but to be honest, I'll probably just see one film that weekend, you know? Yeah, it, it, it just, 
I say I, I enjoyed Machete uh, and was a bit of an apologist with Machete, but the trailers for that, it's just, it's all a little bit, I don't know, obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sophia, what's her name, Vigero, the girl from Modern Family, um, with the boob gun, it's a bit, oh, really? Is that, hasn't that been done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it's a little bit... I, and this is coming from me saying this, but I was watching the trailer thinking, yeah, that just looks a little bit too silly, to be honest. I, 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 yeah, and I mean, like, when when even it premiering at Fantastic Fest, the festival where it kind of seems like you could get a rave review just by having somebody's head explode in a pair of tips in, in your film, the fact that Machete Kills got really lukewarm notices out of that has me worried because that is the atmosphere like the the prime atmosphere for a film like machete kills and to get just meh out of that 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 yeah that is a worry Mm. but yeah that's it for me man right uh i don't think i've caught anything else let me just have a double check um i did catch the uh, Cottage Country, uh, the Taylor uh, Labine film, um, looks a little bit, well, looks very, very similar to uh, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Um, so, might be amusing, um, but looks pretty boring. Um, uh, Need for Speed saw that one. Uh, again, John Hemingway So that looks... Looks alright, looks, looks like it could be a bit of fun. Um, and that was about it really, to be honest. Oh, uh, I saw the Red Band trailer for Concussion, which uh, looks intriguing, um, and is either going to be quite good or is just going to be a lot of semi-naked women romping about for the majority of it. Uh, but we'll see. But yeah, not to say we've been away for sort of 10 days in between recording, 10, 10 12 days between like recording. That, yeah. Not not a lot really out to be honest. Yeah, surprisingly little. Surprisingly little. Yeah. Even, then, right. then again, though, I mean, I suppose sorry. It, it just like the, the trailers for the for like the awards films are all now out. Oh, the teaser for Foxcatcher. Oh, not seen. Um, it. Yeah, even though that's just been pushed back to 2014, and they released a teaser yeah. like six hours before they announced that, uh, which looks. I'm very, very, very up for Foxcatcher. Um, Steve Carell looks. Like he's kind of transformed himself. Um, very interested in reading up on the the true life story of that. That sounds that sounds like that's going to be a pretty crazy story. Mm. I mean, the interesting thing about Steve Carell is, is the fact that he's actually quite a good actor. Yeah. Right. So that was our trailers. Like we said. Sorry, I thought nothing. you were going to say more than that. <laughs> then it just, no, just that. Oh, just right, that. He's, actually, he's, actually, he's actually quite a good actor. You know, I think. You get lost with comedians sometimes with the fact that it, it sometimes takes a big, big breakthrough dramatic role um, for them to be appreciated as being non, just non-comedic actors. Um, whereas, you know, actors who then go into comedy, it, it's sometimes assumed that they'll just bring, that they'll be good actors, they just need to be funny as well. And I think Steve Carell is one of those that is actually, and he does seem to have an interest in being something other than just being funny. Yeah, no, abs- a- absolutely. And I mean, this this looks like a straight up drama. Like, if there's mm. any comedy to his character at all, I'll be stunned. Yeah, because of who his character it, it, is in that film. 
it'll be interesting to see him, see him take on because I mean, the, the other ones that he's taken on which have been more you know straight roles have been stuff like Little Miss Sunshine which there was certainly comedy elements in that and uh, Dying Real Life you could say that that was a more a more straight role than we used to seeing from him but that was still you know heavy comedy elements in that as well uh, right so that was our trailers uh, and we're going to play you a trailer from our feature film this week, uh, which is Prisoners, and then we'll get into our views on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was a trailer from the film Prisoners, uh, which is a thriller film. Not often we get thrillers, very, very honest. Uh, but very often now, uh, to be honest. Uh, everyone likes a good thriller. Directed by Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. That'll do. Yeah, I'll do. Yeah, uh, and written by Aaron Guzikowski, uh, the guy who wrote Contraband, funnily enough. Really? Uh, which is a, yeah, strange one, a strange jump from him. Um, produced by, sorry, executive produced by Mark Wahlberg. But of course, the big attractions are it stars Wolverine and Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, also, you got supporting roles there from Lisa Leo, Terence Howard, uh, Terence Howard, and Paul Dano. And of course, the big one is the fact that its cinematography is done by Roger Deakins. Uh, it's the story of two girls who go missing on Thanksgiving uh, and how Jake Gyllenhaal plays Detective Loki. Mm, bit of a strange name, I think, to give him. But anyway, uh, we'll come to that. Uh, who is trying to find the girls and... Hugh Jackman playing the father of one of the girls who is also trying to track them down. Ian, what did you think of Prisoners? Yeah, so um, I wasn't super interested in Prisoners at first because the the trailer came out a few months back and it just kind of looked a bit generic. And I think we might have talked about it on the show. And um, I, I, I think I was just saying I didn't have that much interest in it. But then um, it played um, it played Telluride and I think it played Toronto and it got some... like. Like actual kind of awards buzz, and then my head was turned slightly. Now, even though then uh, you know, say so it got these rave reviews, but then in uh, this month's uh, this month's New Empire and in uh, Guardian, uh, in the Guardian, it only got three stars, so that kind of tempered my expectations slightly as well. And I think I'm a little bit in between on, on it, to be honest. I think it's a very, very, very solid thriller. Um, I'm going to be having an argument with Jordan on uh, Heroes this week because I just saw a tweet from him basically saying it's Villeneuve's Zodiac, uh, yes. and I. For a fair chunk of the film, I could go with that. Um, but I, I will say, all spoilers all the time. Yeah. So, 
bombs will be dropped, and it's a film that, you know, it would would be somewhat spoiled if you knew stuff going in. Um, yeah, it for the first hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, and it's a long old film, and it's two and a half hours, and it did feel it to me, but not in a bad way, it just felt like two and a half hours. Um, mm. It, I thought it was really, really solid. I thought that the idea of, you know, taking the law into your own hands and how far is too far and how far will you go to, you know, get what you believe is is the truth out of someone. Um, and I, I thought that whole kind of the dichotomy of the man trying to hold that together while also doing that kind of on the sly uh, was interesting. I thought when it turned into what felt like a late like a mid to late 90s pulpy thriller by the end of it complete with character turning out to not be what you expected and you know is jackman's character going to be found or not um it it yeah we'll we'll, we'll come to that later on yeah Yeah. it, it, it dropped down a fair bit for me in, in mm. its third act, because what it was doing beforehand, I thought was far more interesting than what it ended up actually concerning itself with. I'm very intrigued to see what you think of this, Mark. Well, yeah, what I'd say there is, is it is, it is I mean, it's two and a half hours long, uh, just over two and a half hours long, um, and it does it does feel two and a half hours long, but like you say, it's not in a bad way. Uh, it's the first hour just kind of breezes by. And the first half an hour is going to blink. Yeah, totally. And it breezes by. Um, I think it's it's beautifully shot, I think is one thing I will say straight away, is it looks quite simply stunning. Uh, I mean, I didn't know who shot it when I went into it, but within uh, sort of like five minutes, I was very much thinking to myself, is this... This Deacons. This must be Deacons. Hmm. Uh, only two seconds. Uh, where was I? Uh, you, you were saying you thought it must have been Deacons. Yeah. So yeah. So I thought you know this, this must be Deacons. It looks it looked so Deacons, and I actually at the end of it was caught kind of like quite surprised that a, a cinematographer can have such a a, a, a kind of feel to themselves, um, which I was quite shocked about. But it's. It's a film that, at points, seems like it can't work out whose story it's trying to tell, um, and that's where I, that's where I think the 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 first, if we're going to break it down, act, the first act, the opening of where the girls are abducted, and then the the, the second act, which is the investigation into it, and then of course you've got the final act, which is the the conclusion of what's going on. Um, it's it's because of that because it's trying to tell sort of these different stories, um, it gets confused by the end because you don't know whose story the end is, and it kind of it, it falls between two posts a little bit where it tries to tell both stories. Because as interesting as Jackman's story is, I think that they didn't show you enough of Jake Gyllenhaal's story, which worked I think in favour of you didn't get to see it as much character development of, of Jill and Hall as you do with Jackman. You very much get to know Jackman's character and he, his demeanour and his his thought process and why he goes straight to a quite a, a, a dark defensive place very quickly. Uh, but with Jill and Hall's character, you're given all of this this conflict around him 
but you don't really, you, it's, nothing's ever explained why there's that much conflict behind him. Uh, you, there's a throwaway line that he, he clearly, he, you know, that he says that he went to a boys' school, uh, yeah, yeah. which sounds very much like, you know, it, it was either an orphanage or a home for troubled Well, that, that thing he, had, he kind of had against the priest yes yeah. it felt like there was some shit in his in his basement as uh, yeah. as i think they say in rocky and as well you know the fact that he's he's got the uh he's I mean, he's got a tattoo across one of his hands he's got one on his neck and he's got one on the front of his other thing and the fact that him and his his captain just plain don't seem to they seem to clash very very often mm. Uh, and the fact that nobody ever talks to him, nobody, barely anybody else seems to know his name or anything like that. That is any of his, you know, colleagues. There's never an interaction piece with any other cop apart from the um, the what's it, the captain. Yeah. You know, there's the forensics team he chats to. So it's very much it's painting very much as a lone guy. But none of that's kind of explained, which I really liked. And I thought um, Jillian Hall was incredibly good in this. Um, I thought he, he, his character, I could quite easily watch another film about his character. And the, the thing is, is I agree with you there, it did get very kind of late 90s thriller towards the end. Because at the end of it, it became a little bit where I thought, well, do you know what? You, you could get another detective Loki film. Yeah, that's no, absolutely. I mean, it's, I, I agree as well. I mean, I think Jake Gyllenhaal was great. And I think Hugh Jackman is very good as well and showing a side to, to him that we don't see all the time. Um, I, mm. I thought it was quite brave of him to actually kind of go, like, to, as an actor, to choose this film for some of the places that his character goes. Um, but, I mean, it just... The, the problem... I mean, the, the real problem I have with the third act is that the actual ending we got was less interesting than the ending I thought we were going to get because it looked... It kind of looks like it's wrapping up when they take in that guy, uh, ta- uh, Robert Taylor, I think his name is in the film, when they kind of mm. take him in. And I was, I was kind of thinking, oh, well, that's interesting. So, and like Hugh Jackman saying to Jake Gyllenhaal's character, like, you spent so much time fucking about, like, chasing me that you, you missed this. But I was kind of thinking it was also going to be, well, you know, Jackman's character also took I mean he basically took the time away from Jake Gyllenhaal's character because he was being so suspicious because he was doing stuff and I, lo- I, I liked the idea of you know if Jake Gyllenhaal's character just followed his instincts he, it, like, it, it, and the fact that he was a good cop he would have just found his man really e- easily like it was somebody right under their noses all along you know and the Paul Dano character was just a massive distraction I liked that idea but then when it turned into, aha, it was me all along, Melissa Leo, I'm a crazy bitch. It, it, yeah. I, it, it felt like it was from a film with less worth and less class to it. Do you, do you think that, that maybe, um, because it, it is very weighty, and I don't think that that ending seems a little bit, it doesn't have the composure of the rest of the movie, that ending. It doesn't have the, the sort of smarts of the rest of the movie. It just, it, it's like they've, uh, the writer had it and had all these things and then didn't really know where to go with it, so went there. Yeah, I mean, like, if, if the ending was like what I was kind of going at, to be honest, I think that would have probably satisfied people generally a lot less because, 
I don't, it, it, it may, it maybe would have been a bit more cerebral. It, it would have been more of a think piece. It would have been, but I think it would have been more in tune with the, with the kind of the character piece. You know, actually a conversation about something quite serious. Uh, you know, that, that it is for the first two hours or so. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's sorry, go on, fine. but I mean, like, but I mean, it's not to say that I mean the, the final, the, the the final half hour or so is is without its charms. I mean, I liked the the very very final shot. It was a little bit like I I, I was a little bit thinking it would be nice just to have Jackman's character disappear and never be seen again, and just like where the fuck did he go? And for that to always be a mystery. But I did like the idea of the whistle like coming back into it. It did, it did, but. It did feel a little bit like that ending is very much a post-inception ending. Um, the fact, the fact that there's the whistle going off and it kind of he stood there and then it ends. It's very much a right. Do you decide he found him or do you decide that he didn't well, find if, him? I, 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 it, I, to be honest, I think it was very, very clear that you would have found him. I think that if well, that's that's it, if yeah. it had ended well, with him. Going, oh no, because there's that one moment where he kind of shakes his head and he, he starts to wander off, but then it whist- the whistle goes again. If it had like, he shakes his head and then hesitates or something and then it ended, I, I would agree with you there, but that to me felt like they're going to find him and it almost felt like that was giving Jackman's character too easy and out. I mean, yeah, alright, he would have gone to prison for an awfully long time, but it's, it almost, paints it as if yay we you know they're gonna find him he's gonna be all right and i feel like his character his character never got his due i don't think i i I think that well it's one of those it's a i think to to a slight extent it it it, the film forgets its point a little bit yeah i go with that Towards the end, because I mean, watching it, it is absolutely one hundred percent the biggest parental fear you can have. It absolutely. I was is. incredibly you know, anxious for an awful lot of it. Yeah, yeah I was incredibly emotional for an awful lot of it because it is the thing of, you know, if if I mean, basing on horrible things that can happen to your children, you know them getting a, a terrible illness or anything like that, you know there's a way you can attack it. Um, but your child just disappearing. Just, it's, there's, you know, there, there's no way, you know, if, if like, an adult disappears, there's, there's logic to go, right, well, they could have gone here or they could have gone here. They know people who are here and they know people who are here. Your children essentially knows people in their school and your, and people you know. So that that's it. Once you've exhausted those points, you know, if a person goes missing, it's, an adult goes missing, it's probably because they wanted to go missing. You know, it's that is seventy percent of the chances that they wanted to go missing. If a child goes missing, the especially in those kind of circumstances, the strong likelihood is if you don't find them within twenty four hours, they've been abducted. And then it's, well, you know, they could be anywhere within 24 hours. And it is a, it is a horrible thing. I think Jackman, um, he, he, as an actor, he, his character, he gets his character to deal, to deal with it in a very much aware of, right, it, it, he goes logic to the point of illogic, illogical. He can't, you know, Jake Dunlop's trying to say to him in the, that moment where he's saying, but he ran. 
a judge on horse track and say, well, yeah, look, it, yes, he did run, but just because he ran doesn't mean to say he's guilty. You know, he's it, it, very much the thing of, it, look, he, he, he's got the IQ and the mental age of a 10-year-old. He saw police and he got scared. And, and it, there seems to be, you know, gets the, you get the feeling from it, you know, straight away, his character, that he knows that Jackman's character is going to be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's that bit where, like, he's outside the car and then, um, hey, hey, where the huge Jackman's like, hey, hey, wait, wait, and he's just like, oh, fuck. You, you, mm. you know, and he's like, I'm going to have to talk to this guy again. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, the relationship between, between them, I, is, is great. Um, I, it just, I don't know, it's like the plotty stuff of the film, I just felt was like, Free star, but the the performances and the 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 more intellectual kind of interesting thing uh, like thoughts that it conjured up and that it wanted to discuss were five star. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it, it's performances. I, mean, I think these performances were, were, were. I don't think there's a bad one there. I don't think there's a misstep throughout the entire thing. And I think the the atmosphere that's created um, for a large proportion of the film is. It's quite palpable, you know, it is very intense. The, the bit where um, Jake Gyllenhaal's showing him the photos and he sees it and, he, you know, and he's you're looking at it and you already know that Jackman's convinced himself that it's uh, Paul Dano's character, yeah. that he knows where they are. And then there's the idea now that he's wrong. So he, he's fighting it on, on two points and you can see... That he sees, you know, he sees a sock first, and he kind of he hesitates as if to say, "I don't know." And then you're thinking, "Is it he doesn't know, or he doesn't want it to be? He knows, and he doesn't want yeah, it to yeah. be." And then he sees the sock that he recognises, and he just it breaks him. And then you know, it's the grief thing of he still is so convinced that Paul Dano knows something. Um, and it, it, you get the feeling that Joan Hall doesn't even quite get it. He doesn't quite understand. He doesn't. He doesn't think they're dead. Yeah. He thinks there's more to it. Um, and that was, you know, that's a, a moment. It, it was a. There was a lot of uh, seat shifting moments for me. Yeah. You know where you, where I, I was sort of sat back and kind of taking it all in, and then something starts happening, and I feel myself sitting forward. And you know, repositioning my leg and leaning forward, and I could feel myself doing it because I was sat in a row where I had, you know, a good sort of six foot in front of me, um, uh, where there was nothing in front of me, there was no seats or anything. So I, I could feel myself sort of it, 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 sort of inching forwards towards the screen, and then I sort of like sit back again. Uh, and it was very much like that. It, it, it did very much have me for a large portion of the film. Yeah, I mean that's that, but I mean like the stuff that had me was it, was the Jackman kind of debating with himself and the, the, the kind of the, the annoyance of the da- Dano character. I, I mean, I mean the, the Viola Davis's character discovering what was going on and like her, her performance and, and her reaction, the kind of like the internal debate she's having. All that, all of that stuff was, was really interesting to me. But then there was other, there were other things coming up in, in my mind, you know, which, which, you know, I mean, the, the film it, by its end is a pulpy thriller, so I think this is stuff that's worth worth bringing up. But it's annoying little things. Mm. It's like Dano's character only mentioning the maze 
at a particular point. Like, the release of information that his character provides is pretty much contrived to be at the exact moments they need to be for the plot. And it's yeah. not driven by anything anyone else is saying or doing. His character just decides to release this information at that time. I mean, you could also say Melissa Leo's character. Why the fuck didn't she make more of a thing about Paul Dano's character being missing for days and days and days? Um, oh, fuck, there, there, there are other things. Uh, but it, it, I think I think you are you, you're completely right in your assessment of the fact that this is I think it's it's a pulp thriller uh, like you say that maybe it's been elevated in substance by the fact that it's got two very very good performances in it um, you know two very standout performances in it you know one being a different side of Jackman that we're seeing. Um, because we are used to seeing him, you know, mainly as Wolverine, but also, you know, when he's not Wolverine, we're used to seeing him in more kind of um, more appealable roles. You know, stuff like uh, Les Mis. Yes, it's, you know, it's Les Mis, so it's that kind of, it's very much his kind of ballpark with it being a musical, but, you know, in roles where... He he gets to be more Hugh Jackman, um, whereas this very much it's a character that he has to kind of portray very much in, in certain terms. And I still think people have the the wrong conception about um, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, and I don't I don't really know where people have got it from. Really, he's always been a very interesting actor who could quite simply, quite easily have gone down the regular leading man route, and he did seem for a short period like, like that might happen but he, he very much he, he does pick his roles very kind of carefully you know he's peppered a few blockbusters in there with Day After Tomorrow and Prince of Persia but the majority of his other stuff is it, it, it's very interesting roles and very interesting films and he's become an actor where I'm actually really starting to look forward to whatever he's going to gonna come out with next uh, I know he's got another film directed by the same director coming out uh, at the end of this year, beginning of next year. Oh, enemy! Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which which looks like that could be, you know, quite good. You know, it looks like that could be quite interesting. Um, like you say, it is it is very when you boil it all down to itself, it is very pulpy. And maybe in, maybe if you'd thrown, I don't know, uh, just picking him out off the top of my head based on the the guy who um, wrote it. If you pulled out, let's say put Mark Wahlberg in the role that Hugh Jackman has and somebody else in Jake Gyllenhaal's role not saying anything against Mark Wahlberg I like Mark Wahlberg but maybe it'd have a different feel to it yeah yeah no totally I mean yeah I mean it's it's very very well cast all the way through I mean if Mm. if you're going to get a sketchy looking guy who might be a paedophile get Paul Dano you know I mean (laughs) that's pretty much all there is to it even down to um the guy who plays Bob Taylor as well. Um, yeah, he's a creepy-looking fucker as well. David Dishmartian, um, which is the guy that most people recognise as the guy who Harvey Dent nearly kills. That, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's, that's the, totally that's where he's from. That's probably his most recognisable role. Um, and he does have quite a recognisable face. He's very angular. Um, but yeah, it, it does. his character does seem to come in and go very quickly. Yeah, I mean his his character is a red herring, and that's it. Mm. That I mean that that is 
his character is there to basically muddy the waters a bit, uh, and and that's all there is to it. I mean, it, it's a bit like the bit with the priest at the beginning and like the mysterious body that like it basically they bring that up and then it's forgotten about for two hours and then brought up again at the end. You know, it just well, the thing is 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 with that. Um, it's it's one of those films, this uh, prisoners, where I think once you while you're watching it, uh, and it because it, it moves, let's say it does feel two and a half hours long, but it moves at a very nice pace, you know, and it's quite punching. A lot goes on. There's no bit in it where you think, well, it could have probably lost that last ten minutes quite easily. Um, it, 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 every sort of minute of it kind of makes sense within the story. Um, but it's only after when you start to think back to it, you start thinking, well, you know, that was a little bit convenient and that was a little bit obvious. It was a little bit pointed. I mean, the fact that there is in uh, Paul Dano's room, or what we assume is his room, we're told is his room, but there's a possibility it might not have been his room. There's a picture of the guy stood in front of the camper yeah, yeah. wearing the medallion and then we get shown the medallion again and it, and it's very it all fits together very well it's a very nice neat little puzzle but as soon as I as soon as he, he, he the fact that that is so pointatively there in the room you think right well he's got something to do with it then because why else is that that picture there other than the fact that he must have something to do with it yeah um, and then well, he's got the body in it and he says that, you know, the, the priest says that he's been there, that he, he started coming about sort of five years ago. Melissa Leod said that he went out five years ago and never came back. Yeah, oh, that's right. So, I was very much like, so that's his body. So, and that, I started thinking, ah, so it, it, have we got a bit of a Dexter thing going on where Paul Dano is doing what his uncle taught him to do? Yeah, that makes sense. And, Started me, me thinking that, uh, which you know that's what thrillers are supposed to do. They're supposed to fire off information, so you're constantly trying to think of, oh well, is that that, and is that that, and, and that that builds up the, the gets the fucking adrenaline going, and that's what gets you with thrillers. If a thriller is pointing out where it goes, you know, thrillers often do have the most obvious answers, but it's the where it tricks you into thinking that it's something else all the way along. That's when thrillers start to get you, and they, you know everything gets flowing, and you start constantly sort of second guessing what you think might be happening, whilst you're trying to get all this information in. And it was very good at doing that. It just maybe didn't pick the best outcome. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I, I, I think, I think that's all absolutely fair enough. I just, it, it surprise, it does surprise me just how well received this. This seems to be by like just the the, the 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 sheer height of praise that it it's it's got from some people because I think it's a very it's de- I mean it's Christ it's definitely not shit it's, it's super I mean, I, far away from shit it I, I I'll be honest I, I I it's it's a it's a strong eight out of ten for me yeah yeah I mean I would totally go eight out of ten I just after the first hour or so, I was thinking this is going to be one of the films of the year. And by mm. the time it finished, it was just like it was very, very, very good. It's not even going to be in my top 20. It's not even going to come close. I I, I think it, it's 
off the top of my head, and I might I might be wrong. I might actually when I actually start properly thinking about it, it might slip down. Off the top of my head, I think this this might trouble my top ten, just based m- more on you know I can forgive to be honest the last fifteen minutes, which I think were a little I, I, yeah I, I misguided or, or or I don't think the last sort of fifteen twenty minutes were of the quality of the of the rest of the movie. I think that the, the missteps were taken. But I still think that those missteps, maybe in the script, in the directorial avenues that it goes down, are still very well handled by the cast. I Yeah, I mean, I again, I would agree with that. I just think... And the, the thing is, like, I'm not just saying, oh, the end was shit, so the film wasn't very good. I'm not saying that at all. It's just, it was running at such an interesting level for so much of it that the fact that it concerned itself with, you know, in the end of the day, the resolution of the plot, but it it, it, it turned from character to pulpy thriller did mm. did disappoint me. And, I mean, like there it, were a, a little niggling aspects of that in the plotting through the film for me. They just do come to the fore in the last 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think... It'll, it'll, like I say, it'll get my sort of same base mainly on the fact that I think, for, for me personally, I think Jill Hogg is one of the performances of the year. I think he's incredible in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I really do. And I, 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 I never used to be a big Jill Hall fan, to be honest. But in the past sort of ooh, past four or five years, he's really he, he's turned me completely round. Um, since really, you know, well, yeah, the past part longer, but the past like, eight years since sort of Jarhead, I, I don't think he's really he's delivered a bad performance. I can't even really say he's delivered a, a, a stinker of a film since then. You know, I even didn't mind Prince of Persia to be honest. Yeah, no, I was fine with Prince Prince of Persia. It's got a solid ostrich race in it. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah. With Alfred Molina kind of <laughs> screaming along at the ostrich, oh, it's fantastic. That's great. It is a really good scene. Uh, but, but I think his his presence and he's you know there's a bit the bit where he where he opens the door to Bob Taylor um, and he's he's asking him a few kind of like you know why did you run away from me questions. He's got a John Hall's, He's developed this this physicality and this menace to himself. I thought, I thought he, he was what, just talking about that weird eye thing he does. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that, it, you know, that, it's not me, is it? He, that's, that's something he's given the character. Yeah, yeah, to, no, to it totally pitch. is. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not, it's not something that he's doing in all his films, I've just never noticed no, no, it. No. It, it. It's pointatively there, and it's when he's sort of, it, it's when he starts to get wound up, he starts to do it. And it, it's a very, the fact that he keeps it going. Because the, the, the thing about, with a, with a Twitch, is, um, I used to have a terrible twitch um, years ago, but I've, I, over years I, I've lost it. Is it's not something that is like a clockwork thing. It's just something that that happens, and it, he does have that, and he keeps it going throughout the entire film. I thought it was very well handled. It's just little things like that, and the you know the the fact that he has the big blowout emotional moment where he he beats the shit out of his desk. And I hate, absolutely hate, and I've said it before on the podcast, a sweeping of the desk. Yeah. Because nobody does that in real life. And if they do, they're doing it for the pure effect of, look at me, I'm sweeping a desk. 
But the fact that he, he doesn't scream at death, he hits all the shit that's on his desk and then beats the shit out of his keyboard. And it's just, it's a, it, it's not the he's lost a case thing. It's the fact that he knows that this case isn't fucking done, but he just doesn't know where to yeah, go now sure. because the one guy who could tell him, well, the two guys who might be able to tell him, uh, one has disappeared and the other one is dead. Yeah. Yeah, I say I, I, for his performance alone, it gets it, it, it gets more of a pass than maybe it, it could have done. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I like again. Yeah, eight out of ten. I agree. I think yeah, there's there's an awful lot that is very you know really very good about about the film. I don't know. It's just like maybe what what didn't help is I saw Blue Jasmine this afternoon, and like that is a five star film. Is it? Because, right, now, see, that's a trailer for Blue Jasmine before I saw Yeah, the, tra- the trailer's you about, not are, good. Are you going to talk about Blue Jasmine in, in, a, in the one of the No, I wasn't game? planning on it, no. All right. Well, it's just, my thing about Blue Jasmine is it looks a little bit like another middle-class problems film, American middle-class problems film, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit worn thin by them. Um, is it better than the trailer? Uh, yeah, it yet? is, because, I mean, it's all Kate Blanchett. It's a... It's a it's a depiction. Yeah, it's a depiction of a woman. Uh, yeah, no, that's a good point. You don't. It's a depiction of a woman having a complete fucking mental breakdown. It, it, I mean, th- like prisoners did make me anxious at moments. I felt anxious throughout most of Blue Jasmine just because of how fucking like how you just think Kate Blanchett's character is gonna just go off at pretty much any moment um it's it's a film that's centered around that performance and rightly so but i mean like it just it yeah it's a really really hyper film and give it give comparing comparing prisoners to zodiac prisoners and i mean like, again going back to jordan i know how much he loves zodiac so yeah he does it's one of his favorite yeah, yeah. Ones, so, think, isn't it? so yeah. to set to use Zodiac in the same sentence as Prisoners is very, very, very high praise. But Prisoners is not the film that Zodiac is, and for very, very clear reasons, at least for me. But it's still a very, very good film. It's still definitely not shit. But I, it, it is one that I think maybe people need to calm down on a tad. I. Do you know what? I I I think I I I hope it gets all the praise that it's getting. To be honest, because I I've not had a film grip me like that did in, in quite a while. Um, I I really really did enjoy it. Um, and it's like I said, I, I off the top of my head, I think it will probably trouble my top ten. Really enjoyed it. It's a definitely not shit from from uh-huh. me uh, without question. But then again, I like a good thriller i don't think we get enough of them i think we either get dramas or action films posing as thrillers nowadays mm. uh right are we done with prisoners? i would say so uh, yeah yeah right cool but also as well what i will say because i won't be having this conversation is to compare it to zodiac is incredibly high praise um but if jordan got enough as much out of it to that as a zodiac then fucking good on him i'm very glad for him i just yeah so am i i just think he's wrong <laughs> Fair enough. Um, 
Right, uh, so uh, we're going to get some, um, what are they call promos, that's oh, it, uh, some promos, <laughs> and then um, we're going to talk about a film with a mad, mad monkey. Oh, yeah. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. It just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just getting, that's the third time though. I mean, I must, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. find yourself looking for a different type of genre podcast? Do you find yourself on the weekends wondering when you will find that one film that might change your life? Well, then maybe you should check out The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with your host Big Willie and the Samurai. Bringing class to the trash since 1977 and rocking the house. You can find The Gentleman at ggtmc.com. to the trash. A man trapped by his own body. To Alan, to the start of his new life. So you train monkeys exclusively for quadriplegics? How about if I were to donate a monkey? She hasn't been exposed to anything weird in the lab. No. An animal trained to follow commands. How am I supposed to take care of it, Jeff? The idea is that it's going to take care of you. She's unbelievable. She's like a miniature person. <laughs> Get rid of that bird or so help me. One with the mind for revenge. I've been so full of anger. I've had the most horrible thoughts lately. I made up a formulation based on human memory cells. I've been injecting one of my monkeys. I don't like this change in you, Alan. The other with the instinct to kill. What the hell are you doing to her? Ellen is getting out of the house, and I'm getting out with her. You do know that that's impossible. Man is the only animal capable of murder. She did it for me. Did it because I wanted it done. Stop it! From the director of Night of the Living Dead, George A. Romero, the master of terror and suspense. You're not gonna hurt me. I'm part of you. Monkey shines. A new into terror. 
Okay, you heard some promos for some podcasts we like, and we're going to hit you with our penultimate film in our George A. Romare No Zombies Marathon, uh, which is the 1988 film Monkey Shine, uh, which was is Romero's first ever sort of proper studio movie, um, made with Orion Pictures, uh, and it stars... Who does it star? Um, it's people. Stan... Lee Tucci. Yeah, Stanley Tucci's um, in it, and so is Stephen Root. So Stephen Root, yes, of course he is. Um, and a monkey. Let's be honest, it's the monkey who is the star. Um, story is, you've got a gentleman called Alan who is struggling, who's struggling uh, who is training to be a lawyer, and he is a very athletic guy, and you know, we get a very early scene of him doing a lot of athletic stuff, some of it in the nude. Uh, he then goes on a run where he's hit by a truck and ends up becoming quadriplegic. Um, and by coincidence, uh, his friend Jeffrey, uh, who is a scientist, um, ends up giving him one of his monkeys that he's been trying to make super smart to basically become his mojo, his helper monkey. Um, Ian. Being a lover um, of uh, monkeys, apes, etc. in films, what did you think of Monkey Shine? Uh, well, I was turned on throughout. Um, it was... For you. No. Uh, <laughs> 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 you know, I didn't see what the problem was. The monkey was into him. I'd just be like, yeah, all right, monkey, let's go for it. But, uh, <laughs> would, you be, would you be lubing up the pinky and going, yeah, <laughs> going there? Yeah, pretty much. No, no, no. <laughs> Of course, he couldn't leave up his pinky. He's, he's, he's completely useless from the net. <laughs> um, I am, of course, joking. I would, ju- I would just like to say, just in case. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I, it, it, this was the only one of the films that we, uh, we're covering in this marathon that I'd actually seen before. Um, basically, because of the killer monkey aspect to it, um, it is, it is a shaky film. It's certainly not Romero's best. Um, it. It does suffer from its age and some of the production values at the time. Um, Donna watched about the last 20 minutes with me and she was laughing hysterically for much of it, um, <laughs> which is, you know, which I think is fair enough. But I, I think it I think it kind of has its charms. Um, there's. I mean, I, I'm going to say this for the dark half as well, but, you know, there are some things that work better on in in a book than on film and mm. the you know the telepathic relationship between ella and the lead <laughs> guy is mental and it makes no sense and it's not explained no, at no. all and there's no even there's no even way for it to be an actual link yeah no exactly absolutely yeah, exactly and i mean i like the idea of of his kind of him getting more filled with rage when the monkey is in his house. Um, <laughs> yeah, again, not explained why. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. It, like with both, I mean, again with the dark half as well. It's a film that has all this stuff and has a setup and has a climactic battle and then just ends. You yeah. know, and um, it. I, I but I mean, I enjoyed it, but. Not for the reasons I think Romero would kind of want you to enjoy it, because it is laugh out loud funny um, for for a lot of moments. It's not really all that creepy at all. Um, 
Oh, it's got a hilarious I, sex scene in it. That I would, I would, I would disagree. There is one incredibly creepy sex scene in it. Uh, the are, are you? The, the, it's oh no, that's a sex scene. It's hilarious. Where where she's yeah. like reaching orgasm and she's just like. Uh, got her hands up on that bar, and she. She's well, yeah. She's she's essentially using his game to bed swing as some kind of sex swing to um, ride a quadriplegic's face. Yeah. Uh, which you know, and incidentally, um, and apparently that is the only sex scene ever to feature a quadriplegic up until the sessions. There's a fucking fact. There's a fact. <laughs> Wow. I like to do a bit of, I like to do a little bit of research and that was one of the few facts that I pulled out of Monkey Shines. Yeah, I mean it, that's probably one of the most interesting things about Monkey Shines to be honest. I mean, the I, I mean it, it's full of sketchy characterization like I mean I like the idea of the guy kind of at his wits end and like it, it, it and and the monk and and Ella kind of opens up something in him. Um, and, he, and he, he finds kind of solace through that. I like that, but you know the the, the friend character who, you know, in one scene um, he, he's kind of injecting Ella, and Ella's all pissed off, and and the wheelchair man—I can't remember what his character's name is—but um, he's like screaming at Alan. He's screaming at him like, "What the fuck's going on? What are you doing to her?" And in the next, the next scene together, it's as if nothing's nothing's happened. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the character of Jeffrey, the, the scientist guy, it, he's just all over the place. It doesn't make any real sense at all. Um, it, it's just a very, very schlocky um, film that hasn't really got all that much to it. No, I mean, schlocky is, the, is a precise kind of uh, estimation. It, it is so schlocky. You kind of watch it going kind of enjoying this but it, it it it's it's pretty crap yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those where you thinking you know i don't understand why this film exists but i don't dislike the fact that it exists sure sure um it's it's fun at points but it's incredibly like you say it's incredibly confused about itself you kind of watch it thinking well what's what, what's the aim? What's the out game? Because what the monkey's falling in love with Alan, and Alan is is consumed by hate when the monkey's there. It just it it goes a lot of places, but never actually seems to decide you know that it should stay there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a very strange movie, but it, I don't know. It, it 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 does feel like a Romero movie. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, the, the, I don't know, the, cam, the, the camera work is interesting, and I mean, it, it is atmospheric to a point. Um, mm. You know, I mean, and I mean, the, I mean, again, I mean, it's, again with the dark half, but I mean, it's a very, the ending is very, very similar, where it's like, to the antagonist and the protagonist kind of facing off against each other and kind of having a, a battle of wills, and it's kind of more psychological. And then it kind of just turns into a fist fight. But unlike with the dark half, where you've got a you know a grisly payoff that we'll get to, and at least there is a fist fight. With this, it's basically he rolls he around, monkey, monkey jumps out at him. He like bites monkey, swings it about in his mouth, which is fucking hilarious. It, it's, it's brilliant. I actually said to um, to Bex because Bex watched the last sort of fifteen twenty minutes of this with yeah yeah. 
because uh, she kind of woke up and I was watching it and I paused it and she went what are you watching I said I'm watching Monkey Shine she's like what are you really watching Monkey Shine yeah, yeah. what's it really called no it's really called Monkey Shine yeah. it's like that's fucking ridiculous yeah. and I explained to her and then when it, when it get in the fight I was like well what's he going to do is he just going to I, I hadn't seen this actually oh okay my first time seeing it um, and I thought well what's he going to do fucking bite it to death oh wait yep yeah, he's he, he's gonna he's gonna fight it. And then, there's just and that it, one shot where he's like going, rawr, 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 rawr. and it must be about ten seconds of him just flinging <laughs> this toy fluffy monkey in his mouth, which which very much does look like. Uh, and I've actually just looked at the poster of Monkey Shine. And the poster of Monkey Shine is one of those you know those monkeys that has the tambourine. Yeah, no, I, I'm on Letterboxd at the moment. Yeah, it's one of those, and the monkey that he's got in his mouth that he's waving about. Literally does look like one of those monkeys that have just ripped the tambourines off its hands. Sure. Once, oh god, I'm looking at the fucking poster. Once there was a man whose prison was a chair. The man had a monkey, they made the strangest pair. The monkey ruled the man, it climbed inside his head, and now his fate would have it, one of them is dead. It, uh, what, it, what's a truly, truly bizarre and ridiculous film that I must admit, it, it, it's definitely shit, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I gave it three and a half out of five on Letterboxd. That's probably kind. I think I'd better... That's incredibly I, kind. I'm going to lower that to a three right now because, yeah, all right, that is kind. But it just... I, 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 I have a bias towards films with monkeys in. That's all there yep. is to it. That, that's fair enough. Um, it's it's one of those films I'll never watch again, but I'm glad I've watched it. Yeah, I mean, this is probably the second and last time that I watch Monkey Shines. Oh, actually, I will say one thing I liked about it as well. Gets into things really quickly. Like, within the first yes. five minutes, he's in the wheelchair. I, I yeah, like... And within, like, the first ten minutes, his missus has left him. You know, that's... I like the efficiency of getting, of literally getting to the monkey. Yeah, I, I, one thing that I think is a bit of a mistake is they made Alan a, a bit of an arsehole very quickly as well. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's wheelchair man, yeah? Yeah. yeah you yeah. don't get enough time to actually kind of get to like him before he, you know, so that the, the rage that he gets when Ella's around, it, you know, is it, it, different. You know, the fact that He's such a dick to that nurse. Uh, he's he kind of it makes you think. Well, do you know what? I, I actually don't like him. To be honest. Yeah, yeah, no. That, uh, that's even though the nurse didn't help herself, mind. No, she was a bit of a bit of an ass back. But yeah, it was. Like I say, it's it's not a good film, but it's. I enjoyed it while I was watching it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm having a look on Letterbox now, and generally. It get it seems to get about three three and a half from people, and I I I think that's completely, I think I think that's fair. You know, I mean, it's got its moments, and there's a fair bit of nostalgic fun to be had from it. Um, mm. But Christ, it, it's it's not one of Romero's best. No, no, certainly not. Right. So was it? Is it we're doing monkey shine? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say so. Yeah. Cool. Um, right. So. Ian, do you want to kick us in with the first of your one old or one new? Oh, yeah, go on then. Um, 
what shall I talk about? I'll do my one new. Um, yeah, do you know what? I'll do, yeah, I'll do the call. Um, so this is uh, Brad Anderson's new film. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, what the film that we both said looked shit, but both admitted that we're gonna watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen this yet? I've not seen uh, it yet. No, I've got it to uh, watch, but I've not watched it. Okay, yet. fair play. Yeah, no. So I um. I, I, yeah, I, I decided to um, stick this on because Kermode actually said it was his film of the week last week, uh, even though it was a weak week last week. What, what else was it? That? It was R.I.P.D. The call. That was kind of about it oh. uh, in terms of why. Oh, with Diana. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, fair enough. So you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and I mean, it, it was better. You know, it was better than I expected it to be. Um, but that's not really saying much. Um, so, yeah, the story is basically um, Halle Berry is a 911 uh, call operator. She fails in saving a girl who's being chased around her house, and the girl is subsequently found murdered. Six months later, she's a trainer uh, uh, for the 911 call people, and uh, in which handily lets her give out a shitload of exposition in about two minutes. Um, <laughs> and she then uh, takes a call off of someone because they're not having a good time dealing with it. And wouldn't you know it, it's another girl who uh, has actually been abducted and uh, by it turns out by the same person. Uh, so she has to try and help the girl, uh, while her kind of on again, off again boyfriend played by Morris Chestnut tries to, uh, this is Halle Berry's boyfriend, that is not the girl's, uh, tries to, uh, track down the, uh, track down the car that the girl's Holy in. Holy shit, that guy's name is Morris Chestnut. Yeah. That's a strong he name, was, that. He was, um, he was uh, the adoptive dad of Chloe Moretz and Kick-Ass yeah, 2. Chloe Moretz and Kick-Ass 2, Garthy was. Yeah, so... Uh, Morris, yes. Yeah, it's a good name. Um, so, yeah, it basically... It starts off as a mid-90s thriller. And it ends as a mid-90s thriller. But it's made nice. in 2013. Um, so there is some pleasure to be, uh, to, to be had from that. Um... You know, there are many, many scenes in the film that are very, very tense. And you are wondering, you you are wondering often how the fuck is this actually going to play out? Um, At least for about the first hour or so. And then, you know, a lot of people have called out the film's third act for being silly. And I can see where they're coming from in in some aspects, even though I think in terms of the... Uh, the journey of Halle Berry's character, for me, it actually kind of made more sense than I'd been led to believe. But what I didn't like about the third act was it gets it gets gnarly. Um, it's Abigail Breslin, uh, the, the little girl from Little Miss Sunshine, is the abducted girl. And for the last 25 minutes or so, she's running around in her bra. And I felt wrong watching it. Not because I was turned on or anything like that. No, I, believe me, I wasn't at all. It was just, yeah, that's a girl who looks like she's fucking 15 year old, uh, 15 years old running around in a bra. That's icky. Um, and it, 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 it's basically like it, it, her run, running around. The killer's kind of, the, the abductor guy is kind of revealing just how fucked up he is. And, um, he, yeah, it, it, like his kind of uh, his backstory, and there's 
you know, he's keeping shit in his basement, which is which is nasty shit, and it, it just it it turns ju- just into a you know a, a kind of like one of those films after Seven was released, like you know, kind mm. of like uh, Copycat or um, or Murder by Numbers. You know, it's it, it just one of those. <laughs> I like Murder by Numbers. Yeah, fair enough. I it just I don't like Copycat. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean the thing is, I I actually have a bit of time for Copycat myself. Um, I I find the last shot of that film very eerie. Uh, it's just like Harry Connick Jr. staring at the screen as the credits play out, if yeah. I remember correctly. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I mean, I, they're, they're, like I said, there are pleasures to be had in that, and I mean, like it it does keep up a level of tension. And Halle Berry's decent in it, you know. I mean, Abigail Breslin's actually decent in it too. Uh, Michael Imperioli turns up in a small role, and and he's all right while he's on. And it, you know, as as a kind of like a watch it at home, stick it on on Netflix kind of thing, it, it actually works. It works fairly well. And next to Vanishing on 7th Street, uh, it's Citizen Kane, frankly. Um, yeah, I mean, like, Brad, Brad Anderson has, has a good visual eye. The score is, is good and kind of bombastic and 90s thrillery. I mean, it, it does feel very, very throwbacky. And to an extent, that's decent. Uh, to another extent, it's not. Uh, three out of five. Don't think it's shit. It gets a mild recommend. Uh, but I, I do wish the ick factor uh they're making me feel slightly grossed out factor of the third act wasn't there as much but uh, was, it, was it very much a could, could you just like find a shirt yeah yeah to be yeah to me yeah because you kind of thinking what well, so i'm gonna admit this girl was literally for like what three four days just running around in a bra that's a bit weird yeah and I mean, especially when you think it is the little girl from little smith sunshine yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I mean okay you know girls have to grow up and whatnot you know but it just it, it, i didn't need to see abigail breslin that young running around in her bra you know it it, it was just it, it felt wrong frankly so but yeah there's that and I, I will mention briefly uh i watched curse of chucky as well which um it is all right um it, it, it's fine it gets very, very playing to the fanboys towards the end, but then again, I suppose fanboys are probably the film's primary audience. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I, I thought it was okay. If you're interested in Curse of Chucky, you'll probably get something out of it. I, I've heard quite a few people say um, quite positive things about Curse of Chucky, to be honest. So um, I'm, you know, I'm a, a mild fan of the um, the original one, so I'm, I'm going to give it a go. Um, uh, Brad Dourif's daughter, I believe, is the lead actress in it, and uh, she's quite fetching. Oh. Well, uh, they usually are, aren't they? Not Brad Dourif's daughters, just leads in horror films. Yeah. Uh, right, uh, I'm going to throw my one old at you, because then we'll get some kind of symmetry of one new, one old, one old, one Sweet. new. Sweet. Um, and we'll throw that at you. Um, I, I, I've watched a few old bits, but um, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to bring it down to a, to, to a more family-friendly level. Um, I watched The Mask the other day, nice. and it must be... God, it, I must, it must be the first time I've watched it since VHS. Since it probably came out on VHS, because I did have it on VHS. So you're talking just shy of 20 years. I'd say it's been a good sort of 16, 17 years since I watched The Mask. Um, which is a 1994 film. I'm sure most people who are listening have, have seen the film anyway. Um, but it kind of came in the, you know, it was Jim Carrey's first film as a star. You know, he'd had... 
Ace Ventura before that, which had kind of made him, you know, a, a bit of a, a bit of a star. You know, it was the same year, but it was very early in the same year. And then the mask came out, and it was, you know, it was sold as the new Jim Carrey film, whereas Ace Ventura wasn't really sold as a new Jim Carrey film. It was sold, wasn't even really sold. It just happened to strike a chord with, you know, kids probably of sort of my age at the time, sort of 11, 12. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, but the mask, I remember going to see it at the cinema. Uh, I went on my own because um, a lot of my friends weren't into films, even sort of films like this then. So I, I spent a lot of time going to the cinema on my own to see stuff. Um, so I did go and see the mask on my own. I remember people going to see it and really excited about it. So sort of watching it sort of 16, 17 years later and watching it with Isabel uh, for the first time, it it kind of it gave me that, that effect of very much of almost like you're rewatching it again because you... I, like for instance, I to me the uh, Cameron Diaz arrival bit happened loads further into the film, but it happens basically within like the first ten minutes, and then the film just moves along at this ridiculous pace. Mm. And it's about halfway through it that I was struck by this fact that this is actually you know an incredibly brilliant family entertainment movie. You know, it's a really well balanced. It is very funny. It is quite maniacal at points and it's um, it, it has a lot of anarchy going on and the character of the mask it isn't just Jim Carrey making faces and stuff like that it's actually a very it's a very good performance from him as a you know to go out there and to just be so out there and we've kind of become used to that from from Carrey and it's kind of been it, it, it's been like a stick to poking with a little bit as his career's gone on mm. Uh, that you know that he does just make funny faces, but there's also there's a, a a very kind of tight composure to it, and you know the the whole the musical scene in it, um, it where he actually sings, it's it, it's difficult. You know, we we give you know we gave it earlier. I, I gave it very much earlier to prisoners uh, with saying you know that those performances elevated the film. You know, and maybe with different performances in. It'd be quite a substantial, you know, not a substantial film, but it wouldn't have been as good. And it's very easy to forget quite how good Jim Carrey was at doing those movies, which very much were for kids. You know, I can watch it as an adult now, and I still get a lot out of it. But it's not aimed at me. The mask is aimed at kids, and I hate, I hate the idea that kids' films, are, you know. Oh well, you know it's something that kids enjoy, but there's you know there's a few other jokes there for adults. It's like fuck off. So what? Because because I'm an adult, I can't enjoy the stupidity of something like the mask. It, 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 that that annoys me, and I was amazed that what the mask is trying to do, it does almost flawlessly. It is ridiculous, but it's supposed to be ridiculous. And I was actually quite shocked at how much I got out of it, and the fact that it's directed by Chuck Russell. I didn't know I didn't tweak mm. that, you know, all these years later, which is the guy who did the third Nightmare on Elm Street film. Uh, and who directed the Blob remake. Uh, which are two great films. He also directed Scorpion King, but you know, we'll, we'll <laughs> let him um, but yeah, just uh, I you know, it's one of those films where I'm I'm very glad I went back to watch it. Um I, I, I very much doubt it'll be another sort of 18 years before I watch it again. And it's an inc- 
incredible entry into cinema from Cameron Diaz. Yeah, it is. It is kind of ridiculous how much of a this woman's a star like a, a, a entry, yeah. like literal her walk in to the bank at the start, and the fact that she's walking and it, the film goes in a slow mo, and it's him and, and uh, is it Kevin Dunn? Uh, or who's the other guy with Jim Carrey in it? Uh, it is. Oh, what's his name? Richard Jenny. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay. He looks like Kevin Dunn. Um, but like the the, the way that they yeah they are they do just and it almost it almost is like the sex Avery thing of like their eyes bulging out like like what happens later on. It's almost like they're gonna yeah. do that in that moment. It's it's a very it's it's just a, it, I say I was I was quite a taken back by how much I enjoyed it. You know, all these years later, and it's it, it's the perfect length for a film of its kind. It's just. It's just over an hour and 40 minutes. Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zips by. Wonderful. And it contains, and you wouldn't get this anymore, it contains a dog pissing on somebody. You know, nowadays, like, oh, you can't have that. Why? Because you can quite clearly see the dog's penis. <laughs> you know, that that but that is something you would get now, wouldn't you? Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. You'd get probably, a dog yeah, probably pissing right. on somebody in, in, a, in a film which essentially is aimed at a to 13 year olds yeah depressingly you're probably right there brilliant film Uh, I urge people to go back and watch this nice you know especially since people should have a bit of a I think people should go on a little bit of a a Jim Carrey retrospective with the fact that you know we've got Dumb and Dumber 2 coming out uh, next year you know I actually found myself thinking I'm going to watch Dumb and Dumber at some point over the next week or so Mm. Because, you know, when you look at it, you had Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber all came out within a year of them, each other. What, within a 12 month period? Yeah. Fuck you now. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure, let me just double check on that, but yeah, Ace Ventura, uh, February the 4th, 1994. Uh, the Mask came out July 29th, 1994. And Dumb and Dumber came out December sixteenth, nineteen ninety four. That's that's a fucking hell of a twelve months for any actor to have, you know. Because Ace Ventura, you know, that pulled in, you know, he, he, Jim Carrey in the space of a year went from nobody having a clue who he was to being the most, well, you know, one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood. You know, Ace Ventura. 15 million budget pulled in over 100 million. Uh, the Mask, much higher budget than 15 million. You know, it had a, well, not sorry, it didn't actually, 23 million budget pulled in 350 million. And then you've got Dumb and Dumber, uh, 17 million budget, just shy of 250 million. I mean, that's, yeah, you know, that's, that's all three out. films don't even cover, you know, just cover just under, just over half of what one of those films brought in. It's an incredible 12 months. Mm. So, what have you got from your one old to throw at us? One old, one old. And it's on Netflix UK at the moment, I believe. Um, as it was when I first watched it. It's the first time I've re-watched a film I first watched on Netflix. Um, and a film that actually came out the same day it, in the US 
came out the same day that I came out with my mum. Um, Whoa! So, so it's, it's, it, 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 it's your birthday film. Yeah, it literally is my birthday film. Uh, the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Uh-huh. Um, which I rather love. Uh, <laughs> the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Uh, have you seen this? I take it you have. A long, long years ago. I keep, I keep meaning to rewatch it on, uh, on Netflix. I keep going to choose it. it it's a good print as well. Yeah, it? it's... I must, I must get back to it, but I've, I've not seen it since I was about eight or nine years old. Yeah, I... It, so I've not seen it in a long time. It, it's, it's really quite something. I mean, for those who haven't seen it, uh, Bakker Advanced, played by Peter Weller, is a... Yeah, so he's a surgeon... Uh, he's the lead singer in a, uh, rock band, uh, a lot of, where it's Buckaroo Banzai and the Hong Kong Cavaliers, uh, who are, like, guys who go on his adventures with him, uh, well, and he goes on adventures, and he basically starts the film, uh, travelling in a, a, he's doing, like, a speed, a, a land speed record thing in his car, and he goes so fast that he goes through a mountain and through a tear in, like, the space-time continuum, and then out the other side, and this triggers a bunch of aliens play uh, played by uh, Christopher Lloyd, Vincent uh, Schiavelli, and someone else um, to uh, come to Earth because they are uh, what is it? Buckaroo Banzai has the technology for them to be able to get uh, get back to their home planet, but if they do manage to get back to their home planet. Um, Another alien race will destroy will destroy the Earth for letting them get back to their home planet. Uh, so Buckaroo Banzai um, has to uh, team up with his men, uh, including uh, Surgeon New Jersey, played by Jeff Goldblum, who um, decides to wear a cowboy outfit as his uh, costume for adventuring, uh, and starts a kind of a relationship with Penny Pretty, played by a, a young Ellen Barkin. Uh, looking uh, quite fetching. Um, yeah. It's a film that would never, ever, ever, ever be made today. It feels like a film that only could have been made in the specific time frame that it would have been made in. It feels like if the script had been sent in to be greenlit a day later, it would have been chucked out of there. If the film had been released a day later it would have just gone straight to video but somehow through some sort of crazy ripping the space-time continuum again it managed to actually get a theatrical release and it managed to get made uh it's absolutely bonkers um and it's the, the thing is, I mean, like, it's not like even the, the, the di- it, it's not like Walter Hill doing Streets of Fire, where it's like he's made a load of money, so they kind of let him do this and try and have a big, um, you know, try, try and knock one out of the park, like a, 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 a strange thing that, you know, they, they just let him have. It's, it's not one of those. It just seemed to get made. I mean, it's, um, written and directed by J.W. Richter, who, um, uh, a little diner. Yeah, um, he was, sorry? 
He wrote, he, he co-wrote Big Trouble in Little yeah, China. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. And um, uh, Big Trouble in Little China apparently was originally conceived uh, as a sequel to um, Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Buckaroo Banzai, yeah. Um, yeah, it was. And uh, Which is bizarre, because at the end of Buckaroo Banzai, it actually says, watch out for Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime League, uh, yeah. which is really really depressing because it, it, it i mean it's just one of those, those cases where you really do want to see the sequel and, and yeah i think it might have been made in comic book form uh, i seem to remember hearing i think it, it, it has been yeah there's been a number of comic books of it since yeah yeah which um, you know which is awesome it, it just it's an awful lot of fun um and i mean peter weller who's not the most conventional leading man in the world um but his strange kind of charisma and intelligence and warmth kind of all come together really weirdly and work here. Um, but I mean, the, the supporting cast are great. I mean, um, Christ, Christopher Lloyd plays an alien called John Big Booty, but everyone calls him Big Booty. And then every time somebody says Big Booty, he says, it's Big Booty, which makes me laugh like a drain, frankly. Um, <laughs> and I, it, I, 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 you know, my my review of the film is not very succinct. I may as well just say the plot keywords on IMDb, frankly. What have we got? Creature, musician, alien, rocket car, motorcycle, New Jersey, flashback, torture, long title, hunting, hero, death threat, see you in hell, midnight movie, fire art, cover up, desert, name name change, recreational vehicle, evil scientist, electric shock, begins with text, sci-fi spoof, hologram, US president scientist, press conference, psychiatric hospital, Bell 206 jet ranger helicopter, watermelon, Harley Davidson, doctor, <laughs> sabotage, rescue, spacecraft accident, conspiracy, bound and gagged, cult, space, American flag, spoof, widower, reference to Jerry Lewis, surgery, pastiche, sequel mentioned during end credits, Sound Barrier, Year 1938, Helicopter, Chemistry Laboratory, Rock Band, Birthday Cake, Telephone Box, Bell 407 Helicopter, Escaped Mental Patient, Katana Sword, Arm Sling, Alien Contact, Flash Forward, Trespass, Interdimensional Travel, Spacecraft, Electromagnetic Pulse, Cold War, Paragliding, 1980s, Chase, Voiceover Narration, Cult Film, Hospital, Spaceship Dancing, Government Fraud, Nightclub, Alternative Reality, 1930s, Automobile, Lasso, Possession, Independent Film. I couldn't say it better than that. Start the fire. It was always that really did sound a little bit like you were going to burst into a Billy Joel song then. (laughs) It was wonderful. (laughs) Uh, That watermelon. Watermelon's a keyword. Yeah, there is just there's a in one scene there's a watermelon. I think somebody actually says something like, "Look out for that watermelon." I really hope that, the, that everything you just said there, I really hope, which was brilliant, by the way. I can't even manage to read all of that like that. Nice. <laughs> um, I hope that was how they pitched the film. I, 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 here we go. <laughs> oh, here we go. Why is there a watermelon there? In the DVD commentary, the director states that the watermelon was put in the scene to test whether the studios were, or studio was actually looking at the dailies. <laughs> oh, I'm... I'm the more you say about this, the more I'm thinking. I remember bits of this film, but like very hazy bits of this film. I remember that I watched it on the same day as I watched Flight of the Navigator. That's a hell of a double. God, do you know what? Donna and I watched about an hour of Flight of the Navigator a couple of months back. That film has not aged well. 
No, it's not. It's not as it at all. Uh, which is probably why Disney are like, um, can everyone kind of you know forget that we made that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. It, it, I don't know. It's an awful lot of fun. I mean, it is a cult film through and through. But I mean, the the, the soundtrack's great. The comedy I find very funny. Uh, the, the odd little surrealist bits are great, are fantastic. And the closing credits, one of the best closing credits you'll ever ever see. And it just it oh. it totally just keys into the fun team dynamic of the whole thing. It's it's a wonderful closing credits. I will, uh, without question, be rewatching that this week. Nice. Without question. That's weird. Didn't you also watch New York, New York this week? No, it was a couple of weeks back. A couple of weeks ago. Because the guy who wrote this wrote New York, New York. Did he? Did he? Yeah. Earl MacRoush. It's the, one of the... Only, only they're two of only four films he's written. Bloody hell! Yeah, look at that. Weird, that. Also, yeah. I I can see Arrow putting this out on Blu-ray at some point. I'm I'm kind of surprised they haven't already. I think it's it, it. I I think it's coming out at some point next year, but I don't think it's Arrow. Do Second it. Sight? Yeah. Ah. I think it's very much on their list, apparently. Nice. Which kind of makes sense, because it is very much their kind of... their MO. It, it would have been one of them. Yeah. Certainly. And, you know, the fact that Second Sight and, and Arrow are putting out such wonderful things at the moment is, is incredible. But do you know what? I was... Uh, maybe a slight tangent. I was kind of uh, talking about that on Twitter the other day uh, when Arrow kind of released their, um, their, their the details of their their Blu-rays in December. It, 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 it's crazy that Arrow are getting the rights to some of these titles, and I think it kind of shows that in a way it's a good thing that Blu-rays are being taken less seriously by the studios because it's allowing mm. labels like Arrow and like Second Sight to get the rights and actually yeah. do something with them. It's very much the thing of um, physical media now is for birthdays, Christmas, and collectors. Yeah. That's what physical media has become. Physical media, it will slow. It certainly will. And it is slowing. But at the end of the day, studios are still making money off Blu-rays and DVDs. And that is why they will they will keep releasing them. They will only stop releasing them when they literally just stop making any money at all, um, like they did with tapes. You know, at the end of the day, um, I can still go out and buy a CD, yeah, yeah, yeah. despite the fact that eighty odd percent of um, of music bought now is downloaded. But I can still go to a supermarket or a HMV and buy a fucking CD. I, well, I'd never do it, but I could do it. Um, which is why I think that it will never... The, the idea that it will disappear it, is ridiculous, because there will always be collectors, like myself, uh, and like yourself, that, that will buy these. I've just become more selective with them, with what I buy nowadays. Because, you know, I used to buy a couple of DVDs a week, and now my Blu-ray purchasing is... Arrow stuff and steelbooks. I stick to that, and I'm a little bit more selective. I mean, for instance, there's 
the, the release of the Gabriel on, on Steelbook. Um, and there's four initially released, and I looked at them and thought, right, well, I'm going to get two, and I'm not going to get the other two because I don't like them. I like the film, love the films, but I've already got them on Blu-ray. I don't need them on Steelbook. I don't, Steelbooks look very nice. Um, but then I think the Steelbook for Howl's Moving Castle looks gorgeous, and frankly, even though I don't really like the cover that much for My Neighbor Totoro, I want to own My Neighbor Totoro on Steelbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as ridiculous as it sounds, but that's the thing. I, you know, the, the fact that Big Trouble Little China's coming out on Steelbook gets me excited. I'm a little bit disappointed that Streets of Fire isn't coming out on Steelbook. I think they're missing a trick there. Even though I don't, I think, I don't think Second Sight do Steelbooks, but they are. Oh, they did. Yeah, oh, they did one really? for. Uh, Basket Case come out on Steelbook. Uh, Scanners come out on Steelbook. Uh, they've done a few uh, uh, over the past sort of six months. Well, they're, they're missing a trick I, because the, the kind of people who buy buy Street Fire are the kind of people who buy Steelbooks. I would, I would, I would have bought one for me, and I would have bought one for everybody I know as a present. <laughs> just, just, just to have it. I really hope the Burbs comes out when uh, when Arrow released that. I'd love that to come out in a Steelbook. Mm. Yeah, the Arrow are doing uh, that, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so... But, yeah, but it, it, like you say, it is great, the fact that the Arrow are managing to get something like the Burbs and Big Trouble in Little China and Second Sight have gone out there and gone, Can, you know, what are you doing with that Streets of Fire? Well, we're having an argument about the fact that it's only been one HD DVD. Can we have it? Yeah. Well, yeah, fuck it, why not? No one's going to buy it. Well, we don't give a shit if no one's going to buy it. We want to release it. Because, I mean, that's the thing. It was like, that's why, like, back in the day, Criterion had the rights to an awful lot more films. Like, Criterion, I think, put out a laser disc of... I think they might have put out a laser disc of seven. But I know that they, did, they yeah. put one out of Silence of the Lambs. And, that, like, there's, mm. there's a commentary on that that you can actually get online, but it's not officially available anymore. And it, I, I'm wondering if Criterion may actually in the future get the be able to get the rights back for for some of these things because the studios aren't going to be as bothered anymore like they weren't in the earlier days when Criterion was first about I I, mm. I, I have to wonder and I, I I certainly hope so like as a blu-ray fan I'm actually more excited about the next couple of years than I have been about blu-ray over the last couple well, yeah, I mean, it, it, in the space of a week, I'm going to get Streets of Fire on Blu-ray, and I'm going to get a steelbook, a gorgeous-looking steelbook of Big Trouble in Little China. And, I mean, you've got, you got the 70s Invasion of the Body Snatchers out next month as well, or yeah. in November. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, which, you know, it, it, it's fucking great. And, I mean, just, I mean, I'll, you know, I know we're tangenting a little bit here, but you know what, fuck it. Um... I'll just give you a quick rundown of what I've currently got on pre-order um, in steelbook form at the moment. And, you know, it, it's I might not have bought these um, had they not been steelbook, but I've got the uh, Beverly Hills Cop one on pre-order, Dust Till Dawn uh, on pre-order, um, Seven Samurai, and I've just pre-ordered the JFK Gremlins Halloween 35th edition, Rambo 2, Rambo 3, Point Break, Big Trouble in Little China, My Name of Totoro, and Howl's Moving Castle. No Wicker Man? No, I forgot to order that, actually, so I'll, I'll reflect for that in a minute. <laughs> and I'll have the Wicker Man on order. You know, and I've never usually pre-ordered stuff. I usually just wait till it comes out and the day it comes out and go and buy it. But 
these were only available online. I think the idea, it's strange the fact that the idea now of going to buy a Blu-ray or a DVD in a shop and owning it that day is pretty much gone. Well, I mean, it's just the fact that if you pre-order something, frankly, you pre-order something from Zavi, it'll be on your door, on, 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 on your doormat Monday morning. Hmm. Yeah. It, you know, so you, well, uh, Sometimes, sometimes you get it, um, the Saturday before. Yeah. For instance, I got, I got Tron, uh, the Steelbook for that, um, the Saturday. It's out on the Monday. Yeah. I know it's, it's two days and I haven't watched it, but it's still, that, you know, let's be honest, we, we, I'm sure you all like it. When you get home from work, you're in a shitty day at work or hard day at work or whatever, and then you look on the doorstep and you get in there and you go, like, bill, bill, nonsense, fucking chain letter, box. And it's that feeling of, oh my God, there's a fucking Blu-ray in here. Yes! Yeah, I just I just ordered the Screen Factory Prince of Darkness Blue and I'm going to be pretty much walking up the hill back to uh, back home after I get off the train from work like all next week just hoping it's there. Yeah, it, it's that there's that feeling like you know I, I do as ridiculous as it sounds. I don't get in and just open it straight away. I've got to like get myself sorted. Like I've got to make sure the room's tidy and I've got a coffee in front of yeah. me and I've just had a shower so I'm as comfortable as I can possibly be just to sit down and open it so I can spend 10 minutes just fucking looking at the box. And it, that is incredibly geeky, but I know there are other people like that out there. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can't say I have a shower before I, I open my Blu-rays. I, I have a shower before I do most things, so... <laughs> I'm on, like, three showers for today already, so... Blimey. What? I'm a particularly sweaty person. <laughs> <laughs> Right, uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you in the face with my uh, one new, uh, which is a film I know you've seen and I, I I'm pretty sure you liked. Uh, it is directed by Anthony Fuck You and it is Olympus Has Fallen. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, starring Gerard Butler, uh, Aaron Eckhart, Morgan Freeman, and a shitload of violence. Um. It is, you know, it's been, you know, there's been two, well, there's going to be two films this year, which are, you know, White House down <laughs> films, and the other film is White House down. Um, Olympus Has Fallen um, is exactly the type of film that, that, you know, that I like to watch on a Sunday night, and incidentally I watched this last Sunday night. Um, it has no need to be anywhere near as violent as, as it is, but I love the fact that it is. It is... Its plot is frankly ridiculous. None of it makes sense. It gets itself twisted in knots that it never even bothers trying to untangle. It just decides that the way it's going to untangle them is through, you guessed it, it's a little bit more violence. Um, it is without question, um, Antoine uh, Foucault, um, it, it is his most ridiculous film because his other films have been a little bit more grounded we'll say, uh, than this. Um, but I absolutely loved it. The story is you've got Jared Butler plays a uh, Special Forces Ranger who is assigned to the, by the Secret Service to look after Aaron Eckhart's president. Uh, I won't give away too much because this is a fairly new film and it's not the feature film we're covering, but um, very early on in the film, um, a disaster happens and 
it, he ends up being demoted because you know Aaron Eckhart's president doesn't want him any around around anymore, so he gets demoted to a desk job. He kind of he gets bogged down in the desk job because he doesn't want to do it, but he also you get the feeling that he's a little bit service shy as well. Um, at the same time, um, Aaron Eckhart is meeting with the South Koreans uh, at the White House. And all shit breaks loose, and the North Koreans end up taking the White House down. Um, and would you know it, Gerard Butler ends up being the only person who can save the day. Uh, it is a bombastic world of violence where you have ridiculous amounts of gunfire, bodies exploding everywhere, and it is a ridiculously joyous amount of fun. I absolutely adore Adored watching everything. <laughs> really? Wow. Okay. Fair enough. It is. It, 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 do you know what? It, it, it's not a great film. It's not. It is this year's Alex Cross. I in the fact really, really. Well, Just because you, Alex you, Cross for me is a is a hilariously terrible film, and I think Olympus Has Fallen has got some worth to it. Yeah, I don't think it. And it's worth is it, it entertained the shit. Yeah, out of I me. suppose it's one of those that <laughs> yeah. I if somebody argued with me, well, it's not a really good film. I wouldn't go. Well, it is. It's got this. It's got this. I'd just say no, it's not. But that didn't stop me having a world of fun with it. I mean, it's one of the stabbiest films I think I've ever seen in it's my life. Very stabby, isn't it? There's a lot of that. It, 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 also, as well, for a guy in the Secret Service, he should probably. There's a point where you go. We probably shouldn't have done that because I'm sure you could have got a lot out of that guy through questioning. Mm. Whereas instead, you just stabbed him through the head. <laughs> uh, it has, it has got one of my oh. favourite lines of the year as well. Which one? Let's play a game of fuck off. You go first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the fact that you, you always get the feeling with Jeff Butler, like, um, like, like he's not really. Again, it's that thing of where. He's just he's just being Gerard Butler, and you get the feeling that Gerard Butler thinks that he could actually do all of these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah like, he like, probably like, thinks he's he, actually doing it. He probably yeah. It wouldn't surprise yeah. It wouldn't he's surprise like he, Bolt. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is, and it, I, I love that about this film. I love that it's. That it doesn't seem that difficult to take the White House down either. Well, no, quite. I mean, like, fuck, you aim a plane at the White House and yeah. you have a bunch of people be turncoats. That's about it. You get the feeling um, that, the, the, you know, that the, the terrorists are watching it going, shit, it's that easy. Yeah, yeah. Really? Well, fuck, why haven't we done that? <laughs> You know, somebody must have thought, well, shouldn't we shoot that plane down? You know, and there's probably other things around it that, that would, you know, that make you think, no, but it is just ridiculous. But I absolutely loved it. I've got not much else to say other than that. It is, it is very, very, very enjoyable, even if I felt slightly dirty after watching it. Yeah, it, it's, it is unashamedly graphic. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I will just quickly as well say I also rewatched uh, the Avengers last night. I rewatched this last week. Yes, uh, it's the first time I've watched it since I, I first watched it. Um, 
where I had lukewarm feelings towards it. Um, I enjoyed it more this time. Uh, I just think that it's let down by an incredibly baggy middle. I'm not as bothered by... Do you know what? Weirdly, I was more bothered by the middle the first time round. I was... was, I enjoyed the bits around the middle more this time round, and I enjoyed the ending more this time round. I think partially because of Iron Man 3. Sure. Because I think that that helps it along its way. Um, but I still think you could quite easily cut out 20 minutes out of the middle of that and still uh, have a fucking entertaining movie. It, 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 for me, it is just too baggy around that middle. There's yeah, too much going on. Fair enough. I mean, I, I'm five watches deep uh, with Avengers now. I find it ridiculously I, easy to watch that film. I, I don't. I find it, I found it less of a slog this time. Uh, really enjoyed the first hour. Uh, Iron Man didn't annoy me as much this time as he did the first time in it. I enjoyed the first hour. I enjoyed the last 40 minutes, but that middle bit bugged the shit out of me. Not not bugged, bugged the shit out of me, but at points, just I, I found myself kind of switching off a little bit and going, Do you know what, I don't care anymore. I just want you to get, to get to something more interesting. Mm. Um, and are you allowed to have you seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because I've not uh, yeah is that set after this uh yes so Coulson's not dead uh no uh they they right. they kind of it, it looks like how he's not dead looks like it might be a a, a story point for the season like right. there's some shit that it, it, it seems like Coulson was told one version of events where, like, in terms of what happened when something different might have happened. So, but 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 the the the, 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 the short end of it is Coulson doesn't die in the event. Yeah, no, no, no. So that brave move that everyone talked about how brave it was doesn't actually exist. No, it just seems. Yeah, uh, I, also, I know as well. <laughs> as well, one thing, right? If if you're one of those people, and you weren't, and I wasn't, that, that was complaining about the collateral damage in Man of Steel, right? But didn't complain about it in the Avengers. <laughs> That's, do you know what? Yeah, like, you, got, you then, got that shit banged to rights, actually, Mark. Yeah, it's a good point. All I'm going to say is, go fuck yourselves, because there is equal, <laughs> if not more. And the fact is, it's braver in Man of Steel, because... It, at least it accepts the fact that there's collateral damage where the Avengers tries to hide by showing not a lot of people getting killed while these buildings are... Where the Hulk is quite literally smashing through buildings. Yeah, I mean, even though uh, you do see people running out the way and people looking like they're actually in peril in the Avengers, I think with Man of Steel, it was the fact that Actually, no. Do you know? I'm talking out my ass. No, Mark. Yeah, fair enough. You, I think you got that, you got that shit banged to rights. It's because people wanted to like the Avengers more because the Avengers is directed by their favourite geek, Joss Whedon, 
and everybody likes to poke fun at Zack Schneider. That is that is the only way that I can see why people could have got so their panties in such a fucking wad with Man of Steel, yet completely ignored it with the Avengers. Yeah. But what I will say is I have absolutely made my peace with the Avengers. Uh, it went up from being a 6 out of 10 to being a 7.5 out of 10 for me now. And do you know what? After a few watches, I made my peace with Prometheus, so... I'll never make my peace with that. Who though. knows what may happen in the future. <laughs> right, uh, that was our one old and one new. I'm going to get a drink. Uh, Ian's going to get a drink, and I'm going to go and urinate, and then we're going to come back for the dark heart. And I'm going to pause it, and for the love of God, tell me to resume it off. <laughs> I will do. <sighs> Recording begins. Dad Beaumont has a secret. I know all about it. A piece of himself he keeps hidden. You just don't want to give up George. You become attached to him. Locked away until he needs it. These behaviors could be interpreted as schizophrenia. Away from the light, safe in the shadows. I wrote those words and I have no recollection of doing it. But sometimes secrets take on a life of their own. Thad Beaumont thought he didn't need George Stark anymore. The American way of death. That's it. He served his purpose. Time to lay him to rest. But George is not about to go quietly. You really don't realize what you like when you write those books, do you? It's like watching Jekyll turn into Hyde. We're here to question you in connection with a capital crime. Evidence says you did it. George Stark has somehow come to life. Hello, George. I've come closer to believe a ghost story than this. You're talking about a man who never was. He wants to take over your life. Can't you see that? Based upon a book by Stephen King comes George A. Romero's masterful vision of a nightmare come true. Are you ready? Just waiting on you. The Dark Half. Are we recording again? Yeah. Cool. Right, I'll fix it in a second. Okay, we're up to the final instalment of our George A. Remain No Zombies Marathon. I just managed to say it that time. Um, which is the uh, 1993, uh, 1991 filmed uh, horror film, The Dark Half. It's an adaptation of a Stephen King novel. Uh Romero and Stephen King are very good friends, and they collaborated, obviously, on Creepshow and Creepshow 2. And this was one, I think, was it in between those films, or after those uh, films? I think, it was after, I think it was after Creepshow, but I can't say I'm 100% sure, if I'm honest. It was It was after Creepshow and after Creepshow 2, oh, okay. It was after both of them. Um... This one is much, uh, a little more, sort of more straight laced than the creep show movies. It's not been an anthology movie. Uh, the idea is you've got a writer, uh, Thad Beaumont, played by Timothy Hutton, uh, who has a pseudonym, um, called, what's he called again? George Stark. Yeah, that's him. Um, and when somebody approaches 
uh, Dad to basically say that he's going to out him as being George Stark. He decides to go public. Um, only George Stark doesn't seem to like the fact that they're going public, which is strange because George Stark doesn't exist. Uh, the Dark Half was actually the last um, book that Stephen King wrote before he got himself sober and counts it as being partially autobiographical. Hmm. Right, Ian, what did you make of the Dark Half? Um, I actually rather enjoyed this, uh, I, I, I must say. Um, I like Timothy Hutton. I think he's very, very relatable and grounded and you get behind him and you want to see him you want to see him succeed um mm. I, I yeah I, I i i i've got a lot of time for him as 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 an actor and i i i, I do think he's good here um and i think the I, I, he's an incredibly prickly bastard though what in real life uh, I, I, I apparently to work with he's a nightmare oh really oh that's a shame he, he, he walked off set for a few days the dark half and refused to come back um and they basically had to tell him, look, if you don't, you're going to have to give us the money back. And that's why he came back. Well, that's, I mean, that's weird, though, because, I mean, the, the, the film is what it is. It's an adaptation of a Stephen King book. Uh, which was made in the early 90s. Because now an adaptation of a Stephen King book is a very different thing. But this is, this is pre-Shawshank, let's be honest. You know, the other Stephen King books that have been around at that time, that, that have been turned into films, with the exception of, you know, a couple, were pretty... Well, like, sometimes they come sh- back. Shoddy. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah no, that, that's a fair... Pet Cemetery, the Langoliers, and things like that. Yeah. They've not really... They've been very... They've been of a purpose. Yeah, okay, that's, that's, that's fair. I've, yeah, that's fair enough. But, I, I mean, I, but it, I mean it, is, it is what it is, really, though. I mean... I think that George George A. Romero again is does good things with 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 the atmosphere here. I think the film's got some interesting visuals. I like how the George Stark like sequences are quite you know noirish and dark. I mean that one bit that the uh, I think I think he's the guy the guy with the ponytail where he's in the lift and he gets out of the lift and it's like the red and blue kind of light streaking past. Uh, yeah, it, that's, I, I think that's a, a wonderful sequence in, in terms of the visuals. Um, I mean, the, the whole thing I mentioned with Monkey Shines about things being alright on, on the page and not on screen, it, the, the, the idea of the sparrows and, yeah. the, you know, the ending kind of feel like they're coming from a slightly different film. The film does feel like a bit of a mishmash where, you know, there are moments where it appears to be supernatural. There's, there's, mo- there are moments where it appears that it might just be like a biological kind, of, like kind of thing. And it, in the end, it, it turns. I mean, like the last shot does basically say that it is supernatural. But the the idea of what is actually happening. I mean, I suppose you have the exposition lady coming in and saying, "Oh, well." You know, the the tumor was a vessel, but this dark mm. side of you took it and made it shape or whatever. It, it just what, what did what did you think, Mark? Um, I think it, it's a very it, it's an interesting and a fun film that it has no reason whatsoever to be over two hours long. 
Well, it's it's just shy of two hours, is it not? Mine that I watched was two hours, two minutes. That's interesting. The one I watched was an hour 56. Ah, the one I watched was two hours, two. So let's explore. That's strange. I don't think it's been, I don't think it's been different cuts of that. 122 minutes? What the fuck? Hmm. Well, I got Wait, okay, maybe, maybe, yeah, alright, well, fair enough then. Maybe I'm just going mad. Um, but yeah, it, it, it didn't have, there was, there was bits where I could quite easily have said, you know, you could have lost, you could have lost that sort of 15, 20 minutes out of it. Uh, a key bit you, where his publicists are killed. Yeah. I think you could quite easily have had those dealt with in a phone call or a quick two-shot montage. You didn't have to have all of that. It added nothing to the film. That that 20-minute stretch where it basically is George Stark walks around, kills people, uh, our mm. guy gets a phone call, oh, shit, he's killed again, cuts back to George Stark killing someone again. Yeah, it, it did feel a little bit... That is where I did start to drift out of it, a little bit, where it started to... It started to feel a little bit too long for me, to be honest. Um, it doesn't, you know, this type of film doesn't need to be plus two hours. Uh, you know, obviously, it's, it, it, when you're not including credits, it's under two hours. But I know, yeah, still, I know what you mean. It, 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 it does start to feel its length. Whereas, I think if you chopped a little bit out of it, it would have been a lot more solid and a lot more pacey. Um, but yeah, the, the the opening bit of it, it, it's interesting and it adds that. It felt more like a Stephen King film to me than it did a George a. Romero film. Yeah. I felt the Kingisms um, more than the Romeroisms uh, with it. it. You know, the, the small townness of it, even though, you know, that is something Romero has in his films, but it's not something that is overtly him and that he explores. As it's, it's weird um, hearing about Castle Rock, Maine in a George A. Romero film. That, yeah. 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 It, it, it does feel a lot more like a late 80s, early 90s King adaptation rather than a George A. Romero film. Um, the, you know, the performances in it are good and the story arc's good and it, it works and it, it's fun and it's interesting, but it does tend to, to, to play itself out a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think maybe, I mean, I, I watched it in a few chunks, which I think uh, very much helped for me. Um, but I I watched it. I started watching it last night at about midnight, which might also have not helped. But yes, I, I thoroughly yeah, that, I, I don't think that did help. And the fact that I had such a tight schedule today meant that after about an hour and ten minutes, I did think I could do a turn this off, but I literally would have to get up at seven in the morning to re to watch the rest of it with the way my day is set yeah, out. Yeah. So maybe, you know, maybe that, that it impeded upon that a little bit. But then, I mean, like, it, it, you know, the, the ending is a bit overextended again. And like I said, with monkey shines, the fact that it is a kind of like a more mental thing. And then it, and then it turns into a bit of a fist fight. And, you know, the fist fighty type stuff is just not all that interesting. Um, I mean, the crows and the really, really gory, uh, ending, yeah. uh, which kind of, that and the bit at the beginning with the eyeball in the brain, um, it, you know, they, they, those two bits kind of stand out as being a bit, 
oh, that's where Romero is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, almost. You know, but I mean, that, that I mean, it's impressively grisly at the end. Yeah, yeah I, it is actually. Yeah, it, that, that is one thing. It does look. It looks nice. I mean, the CG sparrows nice. are terrible. They're the worst. But um, but the yeah the, the the kind of the makeup effects there, the practical effects are are wonderful. Um, but the 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 ending, the fact that you know all the way through, it's leading up to George Stark versus uh, oh, you yeah. know, this guy, and it, it's just. Uh, uh, you're just kind of waiting for it to happen, and you know that Amy Madigan's going to get like taken hostage at one at some point. It it does take its time, kind of playing out those beats, and the fact that Michael Rooker's character it is in it a lot, but he doesn't really do all that much. He, he has nothing to do. He 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 has no actual presence being there. No, I mean that that's the thing. I, I was expecting something more at the end. I mean, when the credits started, I was just like, really? It does, it does end very suddenly, doesn't it? You're kind of thinking, there's going to be some kind of, you know, a little bit of, oh no, oh, no, no, oh right. Because I'll tell you what, I, I'll tell you what I thought was going to happen. There's, and in a way, I'm kind of glad it didn't, but, um, cause, but it, it kind of strikes me as an odd moment. When um, he gets in the car and he's about to drive off for like the final act, and the old woman says, I'll be, it'll be interesting to see which one of you turns up for class on Monday morning. Wear a red carnation so I know it's you. I was mm. kind of thinking he was going to like turn up to class, but he wasn't going to have the carnation on or something, you know. Yeah, I mean, something like that would have made sense. Because at the end of it, you're kind of thinking, well, hang on a minute. All these people have died and all the DNA evidence suggests that it's him. This and this I'm guy sure. is now gone. You know, there's no evidence yeah. of him ever existing. Yeah, and it's like, what are they going to just believe Michael Rooker when he says, "Oh, Sparrow took him <laughs> yeah, away." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're going to go, "All right, all right, Michael. Yes, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure they that Sparrow took him away." Um, we think you need to take a bit of a leave of absence, yeah, yeah, and okay. this guy's going to prison <laughs> for multiple counts of murder. Yeah, no, it absolutely. It is a little bit like that. But again, similar to Monkish Eyes, when it, you know, it has points where it's it's a lot of fun and it, it's nice to watch. You know, it, it's, it has moments where it, it's, it's very enjoyable in that kind of way that you get with these type of horror movies. Yes. No, I, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's got... It's got the things you, you kind of want out of it. It's got the grisly kills. And I mean, like, George Stark, I think, is actually a, a pretty interesting presence. I like how kind of ripped out of the pages of a, of a pulpy, trashy novel he is. I, 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 I think that's, uh, it's actually a really good character, really good performance. Um, and I, I like Timothy, uh, Hutton in, 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 in kind of the, the lead role as well. Fad, like the, the way he's kind of breaking apart. I, I, I you know that stuff. That stuff is interesting. It is just kind of a, a generic horror film, which yeah, it kind it, it just is what it is. Mm, there's, it, it's not got anything in there to make you go right. Well, this makes it stand out than anything else. It very much is a generic horror movie of the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, it's it's. And, and, and I mean, it's it's fine. It's it's absolutely 
fine. Um, it just that that's all it is. I mean, like it, it's kind of it is Romero kind of just churning them out a little bit, and to an extent, I think Monkey Shines was a bit that as well. Yeah, it, it, it does. I mean, there was a lot of. I mean, this had a, a bit of a troubled production. You know, Hutton, you know, didn't want to continue making it. Um, the film, you know, it was delayed a couple of years because Orion were basically going bankrupt. Uh, I also don't think it that um, I think at one point Romero, there was a cut done by Orion without Romero approving oh, yeah? it, and then he he got all he got all sort of twitchy about it. So they eventually they went, you know what? We ain't got the money to fucking disagree. Just cut it yourself and put it out. And so he ended up recutting it back to what he wanted, but it ended up being different to the cut that he originally gave Orion. So, you know, there was trouble bits there, and, you know, that sometimes can... I think there's a thing where, when you're making a film, this is the story you want to tell. But then if you go back to it eight, nine months later, when somebody else has already fiddled with it, and then you try and re-put it back together, that maybe things become different and points become different and somebody who is so um, driven by um, kind of subterfuge and sort of subtleties and stuff that, that Romero is that maybe that bled into his you know his, the final film that we got yeah I, 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 I think that's pretty bang on I mean I, sorry I was just looking at the uh, the box office stats as well and I mean it only did 10 million dollars in the US uh, mm. But then again, I mean, like, 20 years ago, that's probably not bad. But, I mean, like, it's 31st for, like, Stephen King adaptations. In, um, Jeez, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm taking a look now. I mean, it's... Um, what's, what's that on? Sorry. Uh, Boss Office Mojo. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm having a look, and, I mean, like, it's it's above apt pupil, just about. Um, that's a good film. Though. But, I mean, just having a look here... I, God, 1408 is the second highest grossing. I think this is just America, mind, but 1408 is the second highest grossing. I mean, then again, and then again, this is unadjusted for inflation also. Um, so, like, I mean, like the 44 million that The Shining did in 1980, I bet if you adjust that for inflation, it's probably way more up there. Christ, Dreamcatcher's 10. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. The thing is, I mean, Becky is a massive Stephen King fan, so I, I've pretty much seen every single Stephen King movie. Um, and you know, there's the, when I'm looking at oh, them, you know, things like sorry, adjusted for inflation. What? Sorry, I've just got that chart. The, yeah, The Shining's number number two. It would be 133 million now. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I mean, when you look at stuff, I mean, there's stuff like Christine in there, which you know that got a, you know that ended up being a TV movie uh, and only got a limited theatrical release. You know, Shawshank didn't make anywhere near the money that, you know, that people would imagine it made. You know, I mean, but you look at things like The Running Man, you know, forget that they're Stephen King movies, essentially, yeah. Um, I could imagine that the new Carrie might trouble a few of those films. Yeah, yeah you'd expect so, wouldn't you? I mean, like, I'm, I'm looking at this, like, this adjusted thing and... Um I don't know. Where's the where's the adjusted one? It's it's below if you scroll down. Oh, adjusted for ticket price. 
So Stand By Me actually goes down a place. I mean, the dark half actually stays at the same at the same place, interestingly, but the, uh, the gross would have been 20 million, which actually, for what this is, is not that bad. It's not that bad. I think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm gobsmacked that the Pet Cemetery would rank above Stand By Me. Christ, the Rage Carry 2 would be $28 million today. Only $2 million behind what the Mist would be today. That's depressing. And uh, Mist is great film. Fuck, that's weird. It's weird looking at that, actually. Going back through it, looking at that. You know, Children of the Corn is in there. Riding the Bullet's not actually a bad film. Cool. Right. Yeah, sorry, that, that, uh, that was sorry, guys, uh, for we, you we, listening. We, 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 we love a good tangent here. Though. Yeah, yeah, but no, that was actually legit interesting. And I think, yeah, the Carrie remake, I mean, like, even if it just does okay, it will probably find itself, well, it'll find itself in the top half. I think that could, that, I, that could make a lot of money. I, it's gonna depend how good it is. I mean, like, the release date of that thing, it's kind of right around, uh, it's right around kind of Christmas, and it's like if people aren't in the mood for a horror film, it's like Old Boy coming out in December. I think that's bizarre. I, I, I don't know. I've got bad feelings about Old Boy, and I wanted to have good feelings about it. See what happens. But, um, mm. um, so that's it then for the marathon. Yes, for our George A. Romero marathon. Uh, George A. Romero no zombie marathon. Um, so, what do you think? What 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 are your feelings about Romero after this then? after watching sort of so many because he's not actually made that many films um yeah no i mean he's a he's a solid director frankly um i mean i i can't say i've hated any of them um i mean i think the, the one i least liked was probably night riders and that was due to its length more than anything else but i think yeah. uh, you know his zombie films just seemed to hit on something and it, it, the fact that he seemed to have something to say with them like i don't think a lot of these films i mean maybe the craziest aside a lot of the i don't think a lot of these films have anything really to say socially and, no. and i i think that's maybe where they where they dip down a little bit because the crazies i very much enjoyed and that's the one that we've done in this marathon that really did have something to say yeah i, I think it's it's one of those strange things. I think had he not done, you know, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, I, I think he might have struggled to maybe have got the opportunity to make some of the movies we've seen. Yeah, I, I t- yeah, I mean, Christ, without Dawn of the Dead, there's no way Martin gets made. No, no I, I think, I think without question, um, it's he it, it very much. The movies that you've heard are his best movies, are his best movies. Yeah, but I mean, it's still, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed myself through the, the vast yeah, majority yeah. of this marathon, and I'm glad I've actually sat down and watched some of these, right, finally. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that completely. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad that I've, I've filled a couple of holes in my Romero thing, but I'll be completely honest, the, one, the Romero films that I will go back and watch most often will still be um, the, the you know, Dawn of the Dead um, Creepshow to be honest yeah I mean I, I'd say uh, for me uh, probably Night and Dawn um, even I've got you know I've, I've got uh, a soft spot for Land of the Dead as well frankly so I, I quite I'll be honest I, I actually enjoyed Land of the Dead to be honest I, I must admit I quite 
it, it, it's it entertained me. It's, it, it's the best of the recent ones. Yeah, no, by a fucking margin as well. But um, mm. yeah, so uh, should we remind people of what we're going to be doing for the next marathon starting next week? Yes. Well, oh, okay, you. fair enough. Um, so yeah, <laughs> uh, it being October, we will. Um, well, we're going to do two films a week, and we are going to bang through the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street films. So um, we're going to do the. So we're going to do the uh, six Nightmare on Elm Streets, New Nightmare, and then are we going to do Nightmare, the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, or are we going to do Freddy vs. Jason? Oh, I really like Freddy vs. Jason. But, I don't know. What do you think? What would you say on that? Try to look. Yeah, because we got... Next week we're doing Nightmare on Elm Street uh, and Elm Street 2. So that's so so that's so that's Sunday the 6th. And then yep. Sunday the 13th, it's... Three and Dream four. Warriors and Dream Master. Dream Master. And then the 20th would be Dream Child and Freddy's Dead. And then yep. the 27th would be New Nightmare and... Freddy vs. Chase. I say we, we do remake. Really? Are you sure? No. <laughs> Alright, I, t- I, I tell you what, should we just ask people to tweet? Yes. So tweet, do you want us to do, for, for the what will be effectively the last film, do you want us to do Freddy vs. Jason, or do you want us to do the remake? So if you guys tweet uh, any time up until next Sunday, which is when we'll probably be recording next, uh, so that's Sunday the 6th of October, uh, you've got until the start of our recording, and then we'll kind of announce it on the show, I suppose. Yes. So, so either tweet or email or whatever and get in touch with us. Uh, and I suppose we better we might use this opportunity to say tweet is at Dude and the Monkey or at Ian Loring or at Dude Foz and email is Dude and the Monkey at gmail dot com. Boom. Boom. Right. Um, questions. Yeah. Uh, we do have a few. Have you got them up in front I of do. you right now? Uh, do you want to go through things? I don't have nothing from you. No bother at all. At B Hallucinations, if you could remake any movie, which one would it be? Uh, if I could remake, if I could personally remake any movie, um, I would remake. I'd remake Grown Ups, but as a horror movie. Nice. It's a good answer. I. That is a good answer. I think I'd remake Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome because that is a film that has got such a great premise and like the the first half of it is pretty fucking solid but then when it turns into Mad Max and the wild bunch of funky feral kids it just loses its way completely and I would remake that film, um, not with Tina Turner in it today, frankly, but, I don't know, some badass woman, probably like Zoe Bell or something, that would be fun. Um, mm. Keep the two men enter, one man leaves, and just rework the second half. 
But I would do that because if you did that, you'd have, and if Beyond Thunderdome was like a really solid film all the way through, that would be a great trilogy. I mean, I suppose you could say with Fury Road coming out, they're kind of redoing, but I, I don't think that, that, that counts. I, Beyond Thunderdome for me, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good shout because I, I, I like Beyond Thunderdome, but I like it in spite of all its flaws. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what else have we got? Questions. Uh, Tom, Tom DJ. Uh, he's got two questions. Uh, at Nocturne, Tom DJ. Uh, what is the absolute stupidest movie monster ever? Stupidest movie monster. Um, I think there's a really obvious one, and I can't fucking think of it. There's one that there's one that actually bugs me, and I can't think of it. I mean, the shit monster from Dogma is pretty fucking stupid, <laughs> but it, it like it's actually quite entertaining in the context of that film. Yeah. Um. Ah, shit! You know. I don't know, I do like a good monster. I can think of a lot of monsters that are shit that I like. <laughs> For instance, I, 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 the the, uh, the retardedness of the sharks in Deep Blue Sea is terrible, but I still really like them. Mm. Or the, the, the giant ant in... Um, Honey, I shrunk the kids just because it doesn't look anything like. Oh, an that is pretty good though. It is, but it doesn't look like an ant. It look, it's what it looks like. It looks like a giant model of an ant. <laughs> Another movie I saw on my own at the cinema. Nice. Yep. Shall we move on from that one? Yeah, we can do. Yeah. And uh, Tom DJ also says uh, you've written a new screenplay. Who'd be the last person you'd want directing it in it, uh, directing it and starring in it? Directing Sean Levy. <laughs> Starring. <laughs> well, if it was... Uh, I, I, well, I mean, like, fuck, I suppose, like, well, probably Reese Witherspoon, frankly, but that's the easy answer. Um, Shia LaBeouf. That's a good shout, actually, yeah. What a little knobhead he is. Uh, mine, mine's Len Wiseman, and it's his fucking wife. Fair point. Just, uh, just because they don't have to make films together all of the time. But yeah, that'd be mine without question. Nice. I fucking hate that guy. That's it right, for questions. Uh, oh, I've got one. Oh, okay. Uh, from Tom uh, at Very Cinematic. It's always oh, a good one. If you were single, which actor would you want to be your wingman? Um, oh. There's levels to that, I think, though. Because there's levels to the wingman. There's like there's a set of rules, and you've got to try and work out which 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 path you want to take down down wingman road. Hello? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, I, I, I've, got, I've got two answers. 
but they're put there for different reasons. Go on. Well, the thing is, for a wingman, you've got a, you've got two ideas you can either go down. Either your wingman has got to be somebody who you're a little bit higher level of. So if you're a six or a seven, your wingman's got to be a six or a five because you've got to appear more attractive than them. So you've got to go for that. You don't want to be too much more attractive to you. And you don't want to be much less attractive than you. So you've got that. That's your wingman bit, right? Or you've got the other level of wingman where you have a wingman that is a couple of levels above you so that they will go for the stronger level and you'll get you'll get the hot friend, which will be probably more attractive than the hot other level that you're going for if you're going through the one. So I've got two answers for this. One, Jonah Hill. Yeah. Because I know that I'm more attractive than Jonah Hill, but I'm not quite as charismatic or funny than him. So... He'll, you know, he'll be getting talking to the girls and everything like that. But I know that the, the the attractive one from the group will go, will will be sort of with, will think, well, yeah, he's funny and all that lot, but he's fat and he's weird looking, so I'm gonna go off with this guy. So that'd be my one there. But I reckon that the top level of girl you could get with John Hill as your wingman would be like a seven out of ten. I think that's about as high as you'd be at aim at, right? And the other one would be Ryan Reynolds. Because let's face it, he's pretty damn good looking, he's charismatic as fuck, and he's a human clothes horse. So he's going to be, you know, you're going to be straight away pitching to nines. So the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to end up with either a high seven or a low eight. Hmm. So that's my two. Hmm. Go on, who's your wingman? Hmm. Stallone <laughs> circa Rocky 1 oh he'd be quite a good wingman because he'd be charming as shit but he wouldn't be but he, like he, he, I don't know I, I don't think he'd kind of go in for the kill he'd be very respectful towards you it would either be yeah. him or like Anthony Edwards in Top Gun yeah, he would be literally a great wingman because you can't go for somebody like Gosling, for instance, because what happened there is he'd end up taking both, both of the yeah. girls home and you'd end up going, what the fuck? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the next day, he'd, sort of, he'd meet you exactly the same way as when he meets Steve Carell to take him clothes shopping. And you'd go up to him and go, what the shit? And he'd just, he would literally just say... What? Yeah, 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 yeah. What? What? What happened? He's like, you went home with like both of me go. Did you go on the loan? Yeah. I, how did that happen? And he just wouldn't be able to understand that somebody can occasionally go home alone. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. only go for Stallone, Circa Rocky. What? A strong shout. Thank you. Shit, did you know that Sean Levin's attached to the Sesame Street movie? Of course he is. Oh, and there's going to be another Night at the Museum movie. Yeah, I heard about that. What the fuck? Night at the Museum 3. Because let's be honest, the only great thing about Night Museum 2 was Amy Adams' bottom. It was a good bottom. It was a good bottom, wasn't it? It was. It, 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 while I, I got taken to the cinema to see that, 
and was thoroughly depressed all the way through it until a moment happened where on the big screen I got to watch Amy Adams' bottom walking for a good minute and I thought, if that happens like another four or five times, I'm good with this movie. I'm all right with it. Mm. It didn't. It only happened another two times and I was horrible with that movie. <laughs> Uh, I think that's it I think that's it, it, it for questions and because I'm hosting so I should actually be fucking doing something rather than just thinking about A&M at the bottom <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering you were just being really low energy it was like should I just step in or <laughs> no I just uh, I like a good bottom um, so yeah cool right that was episode 36 um, which got a little bit fucking our version and the closer you'll get to our version of Zoo Magazine podcast which is wingman talking and he had a bottom. Um, fucking hell, the one female listener we might have might got a bit offended by that, and we hope we didn't. Um, yeah. Uh, right. So, next week. What are we covering next week, Ian? I don't know. Uh, filth? Yes, it's still about next week. Yeah. Nice. Looking forward to that. Nice. Uh, so, we're covering filth, uh, and we're going to be getting going with our first of our a Nightmare on Elm Street will come up with something clever as a title for the marathon in between now and then marathon um, which will be two films uh, Double Barrel of Wes Craven Horror Ian do you have anything to add to this week's show? I got nada me neither um, feedback is always welcome as our iTunes reviews feedback goes to either us on Twitter or to at dudeinamonkey at gmail.com uh, if you want to ask us questions, ask us questions at any point during the week, and we will save them for the podcast. Um, and thank you very much for listening. It is always appreciated. Cheers. Bye. Bye.